When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Defending champion, Hey guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, and welcome to the Danny Batten Fight Show, episode number uh, 18, 19, I've completely <laughs> forgotten, I, this one thing I forgot to check, I think it's 19, go with 19, and uh, yeah, we've got shows on all sorts of subjects, from mental health, MMA, boxing, football, you name it, we've got it, you can have a live football show every Monday, every Wednesday for this, and uh, we've got shows Friday and Sunday as well youtube.com slash ace podcast nation subscribe click the bell and uh, you get notifications every time we upload a new show we're talking ufc 249 to start tonight and then uh, me and danny are going to talk a bit about uh, some retro ufc we're going to talk ufc 7 and uh, the part two of the rise of jack shaw as uh, requested by uh, one of our viewers so we're looking at i think it was cage warrior 76 uh, jack jack shaw versus Someone, uh, what was his name? Croy, Croix, 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 I think his name is pronounced because he's French. But uh, I am, of course, joined by former Cage Warriors champion, Mr. Danny Batten. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Right, sir. I'm all good. And I'm also joined by former two-weight Cage Warriors champion and current UFC star, Mr. Brett Johns. Welcome, my friend. How are you? How are you? How are you? All good? All good, mate. I'm in the in the presence of just champions and gold everywhere, so it makes me feel special. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what I'll do is, as we're going through, I'll try and like address one of you, so we're not all talking over each other, just because it's three of us. But uh, um, Brett, what did you think overall of uh, just like overall thoughts of the UFC two four nine yesterday, and also? What did you think when you first heard that they were putting on a show after everything, like lockdown and everything which has gone on? Um, to be honest, uh, like I said, I think I think we all of us really we need some sort of thing to look forward to at the minute, and um, and sports in general. A lot of people are missing sports, like like going to the football related stuff. Like everybody is just stoked at the minute about the Bundesliga kicking back off so you know things like that it, it brings people in together I think I looked on the internet a few days ago and all the Bundesliga football shirts have been sold out because people just want something to look forward to so you know the 
the UFC coming to town is it's absolutely huge. Like you know what I mean. At the end of the day, Dana White's a very intelligent man. You can see that. You know, he's a very very um, organized guy. He knows what he's doing. You know, and I and like these things have been like um, they haven't been just plucked up out of nowhere. This has obviously taken a lot of planning precision, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things and I heard they were doing loads of, like thorough different testing at the event. Like at the end of the day, that's how they actually found out that Jack Rizzouza had COVID nineteen was because they were doing the, the, the pre fight checks and stuff, you know. But um they've I like the event as a whole. It was a good event and um to me I a lot of people look at the not having a crowd there makes a massive factor. To me, it really doesn't. I, I don't feel like it does make a massive factor. And um, I, I, like, like for example, if you take the main event, like that, that could have been twenty thousand people on their feet. Don't get me wrong; it'd be loud, but um, it was still a cracking fight. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed the card. It, it was, uh, it was good. The only two fights I missed was obviously Ryan Spann and Bryce Mitchell, but the, the rest of my watched. And you know, there was a couple of standard performances, to be honest, and um, I like that with with it with a certain with certain UFC shows is one or two guys standing out and giving good performances. Yeah, definitely. Like I think it get takes a bit of getting used to not having the fan like the crowd noise in when you're watching on TV, particularly. But then equally, I quite like particularly last night. I noticed like hearing the the cracks and the some of the big shots. Oh. It can make it a bit more dramatic, like. Um, Danny, what did you think overall of the of the show? Were you worried that they were going to call it off when um, Jack Ray Souza got um, when they announced that he had he had COVID nineteen? Because I was. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. Nah, surely not. No, this can't happen because um, it's been a <laughs> long time for us to look forward to something. We haven't had anything fresh on the scene for a little while, and to think that it's all going to be taken from our grasp as it touches our palms would have been devastating. But it did go ahead. I thought it was a really good event. Um, some surprising results. Um, but you're right. You know, the, the, not having a crowd there, it does change things somewhat with the uh, atmosphere. But you do get a def- different sense in the atmosphere. And that's a sense that it's more personal to you because you hear them breathing heavy. You, you hear the slapping of the punches even more. So, yeah, it just felt like, a, yeah, like it, you was literally cage side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the other things I noticed... Um, was that you could hear? I, I forget which fight. One of the fights on the prelims, the one of the fighters was literally having a conversation with his camp or his coach, like mm. as they were fighting. He was talking back and forth as he was mm. exchanging shots, and he, the coach was saying like, you know, do this or whatever. And he was going, "I am, I'm, I'm not. I'm doing this. It's bizarre. It's it's, it's bizarre to watch." Like, um, so. As is tradition, we'll focus mainly on the main cards. Um, but I did. We're going to talk about uh, Cerrone and, and uh, Anthony Pettis in a minute. But um, I was just going to touch on uh, Bryce Mitchell and uh, what was it? I forget his name. Uh, Charles Walser. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, he was like before the fight. They um, in the you know in the prelim, like the as the preview of the fight, they were talking about. Um, how Bryce Mitchell might might need to change his game because he, he's so he, his opponent's so good off his back. Uh, he's really dangerous. And then Bryce Mitchell proceeded to just take him down at every opportunity and just he just decimated him. Like it was just so one sided, but it was so impressive. Um, obviously, Danny, you watched 
watched uh, the Bryce Mitchell fight, we and I know you love uh, the like the grappler inside of it, uh, like yep. Brent, uh, like Beth, uh, Brett does. But um, yep, like what did you think of Bryce's performance? Because I just I was I got to, I've watched it twice now as well. Yeah, well, what makes it so impressive was the fact that you know he did it to an, another really accomplished grappler uh, and really made it look like they were they were not just a belt apart but two belt levels apart on the ground. Um, it was really showcasing uh, not just positional know-how, strategy, but also you know, the fact that he can bring up some real complex submission setups with twisters. Um, okay, arm triangle, we see that time and time again in UFC. That can be had from the numerous position setups. But you know, a twist is hard to come by. I mean, you have to really be setting someone up and controlling every element to start prepping something that up. Um, and he kept going for it, and he did modify it as well. Um, one of the things he did was he switched his hand control so he could get some ground and pound aspects put into it as well so he could stay proactive in that position so he could hold the position without the ref maybe intervening, getting him to move on. Um, I thought it was really, really creative. Uh, great spectacle to watch. Um, I was just really astonished that Rosa couldn't really come up with any kind of counter-attack options. Um, it wasn't like he had an energy issue. Um, he was just literally being outclassed on the ground. Yeah, and like by the by the third round, he had resorted to Rosa had resorted to like talking to him and trying to taunt him into getting up to his feet and taking it to his feet, which I think tells you everything about it. But um, like Brett, we don't see many twister finishers uh, finishes in UFC or MMA generally. Really, um, Bryce Mitchell's got a couple already, and he and he tried to set it up and came close to finishing it. I think in at least once in each round last night. Like, how difficult is it to finish a fight with a twister? Like, I, I, to be honest, a lot of guys who do these crazy submissions, <clears throat> like I can actually say it as myself. Like, obviously, the calf slicer was one of the the submissions that I pulled off. You know, to, to sometimes you can just—it's a shot in the dark. You, sometimes you get it. Sometimes you. You don't, sometimes you, you get lucky. But the difference with Bryce Mitchell is when he does these twisters, he's setting them up and nearly pulling them off. This this takes a lot of, like, skill and control, like Danny said. You know, this isn't something that, you know, like, for example, I, I truly believe when I fought Soto that it was a bit of luck involved. There was, you know, yes, okay, you've gone for the technique, but there is a lot of luck. So that your opponent's got to move in a certain way, and then you've got to move a certain way for that move to, to actually pull off. With Bryce, man, I, especially a submission like the Twister, he, he's he's done he's done really well to kind of make it into his own thing, where he's nearly catching people out with this move. And um, like it's okay to have these crazy submissions. Like like for example, Tony Ferguson would be like a guy who's trying to do Imanari roles in the middle of an MA fight. But it, like although he's really good at doing that. It hasn't pulled off for him. And then you were on about a twister, which is one of the hardest submissions you can actually pull off. And Bryce Mitchell's doing it like 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 he probably can do it in his sleep, really, you know. The guy's got so much skill and stuff. And um like he actually has got a finish with the twister, and then obviously he's just going around trying handing twisters out and um he's certainly hunting for them fifty G bonuses, like, you know. Yeah, it was um it was just impressive, and like what struck me about it was not just that he set, he kept setting it up, and he kept he was taking it like to the very sort of final part of the submission, but it was that Rosa couldn't do anything about it. He he just kept setting him up for it, and he just could not 
stop it. Like he was like he was inevitable. Um, yeah, I just like obviously I got no experience in in grappling. Uh, I go on being a fan and go on, you know, what the announcers say and the people I've spoken to say. But you two, you know, the fact that you two are, uh, you know, tell me how difficult it is and how impressive it is that he can do it. I fully believe it. Um, what do you think? Do you think that that performance, because it was so one-sided and because it was against someone who is so strong at grappling, uh, Danny, do you think that they'll he'll be on a main card next time around? Rather than the previous, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's quite hard to make the ground aspects look as, as exciting as he did. Um, so certainly, he could be put on the main card if he can put on performances like that that were visually so intriguing on the ground. I think sometimes ground situations they can either be stood up fairly quickly, or the crowd can get un, uninterested, and the ref gets pressure to stand people back up. But you know, that was absolute ground fest for, for all three rounds. The only um, issue I had regards what Rosa was um, doing, or perhaps he could have done a bit different, was that there was no real strategy to make it hard to be taken down. Um, it, it wasn't like a second, third attempt. Um, it was first takedown attempt by Mitchell. And it w wasn't that Mitchell was doing anything super sexy with his wrestling. Um, it seems that Rosa was happy to go down on his back. I think um, maybe in his training camp, he was uh, so comfortable to, to be in his training and, and go to his back and maybe get back on top or create something in training that he was happy to settle there. But this went against him. He had no counter, no anti-wrestling, and didn't use his striking to try and take this thing out of the tail of Mitchell. And I thought maybe after the first round, being so dominated on the ground like that, he, his camp might have got into circle and footwork and be elusive, especially at that weight division. You know, they can have some really lively footwork. He showed no such adaptation. Um, he just uh, settled for the for the ground on his back each and every time. Yeah, you you kind of beat you beat me to it there a bit. I was going to ask you, <coughs> should they have you know done something after that first round, even if they had trained to the point where they'd you know it doesn't matter if he goes down because Rosa's so you know so confident on the ground, he's so comfortable mm. he can get a finish from underneath maybe, but. After that first round of being dominated so so so, you know so one-sidedly, he um, I was surprised they didn't adapt. Um, <coughs> but all right, let's uh, let's move on and because I want to get to the uh, the Cerrone fight and then I want to get into the the main card. Um, so Donald Cerrone went from main event in versus Kyger, uh on a pay per view to main event in the prelims on this pay-per-view. Now, granted, this was a particularly stacked UFC pay-per-view card with uh, everything that's going on. I think they wanted to give a real, uh, you know, put a real stacked card on. Um, would you feel, Brett, a bit like hard done by if you'd gone from main event in versus McGregor to on the prelims, the following pay-per-view? Or do you think, you know, at the end of the day, he would have got paid nicely either way. To be honest, the way I look at it, and uh, people probably laugh laugh for this, you know. Um, you know, I I've, I was lucky enough that in in a few of my fights, I was I've actually been a, a main event prelim on the UFC, which uh, I took to, I took full advantage of that situation by getting my ass handed to me by uh, Pedro Munoz. You know what I mean? Um, and it was a bit of a it was a bit of a tough fight. And then I've gone on the main card with Alderman Sterling, so. I kind of had the flip of both coins, and to be honest, my 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 favourite fights 
other ones where I'm fighting first or second, you know. I love mm. them fights. So, like, Belfast was one. I, I think I fought second. UFC Glasgow, I fought second on. And my last fight, I fought second on. I, I love early fights to get them done. For me, I just felt more comfortable. What I will say about Cerrone, though, I think it favours Cerrone. I think it favours Cerrone fighting early in the card. Now, I know this might sound a little bit weird and a little bit thing where I'm coming from here. Cerrone seems to get carried away with like the, the whole pressure of an event or pressure of a main event or co-main event slot. And when you're in the back changing room, Danny would know this full well. When you're in the back of the changing room, when you first or second fight on, the, the, the changing rooms where you warm up, it's very I don't know relaxed, I'd say. But then when the people start coming through the doors after they fought and they're covered in blood or they're really upset or they're really happy or they're buzzing or they've just been knocked out, you subconsciously get more and more and more nervous the longer that goes on. And I feel like Cerrone doesn't do well with that. And I feel like Cerrone deals with, with events. Like, for example, he, he mentioned the crowd. He, he liked the fact there's no crowd there. He feels like there's less pressure there as well. Um, like I'm completely and utterly different when I'm fighting, you know what I mean? I, I wanted to be absolutely screaming in there, you know, at the end of the day. But everybody is different, you know. Everybody's got their way of fighting. But but with Cerrone, I don't think it would have bothered him too much being a main event on one hand and then being on the prelims the other, you know. At the end of the day, all fairness to him, he does what he says. He likes to fight and he enjoys fighting. And it wouldn't matter if he was first or last in the card. I bet you, though his pay would have dropped quite a bit, you know what I mean? That's the only yeah. thing, but, you know, at the end of the day, though, that's um, the luxuries of fighting for a belt or, or, or being a champion, you know, you're going to get paid the money. Yeah, and I think, like, Cerrone's one of the most active fighters over the last five years out there. Like, he hasn't stopped fighting and taking on people. He's been unbelievable. Um, Danny, what did you make of the, the first round of this one? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good round. Um, do you remember when we spoke about this? We was trying to decide who we thought might win it. And I, I was saying to you, I, I favour Cerrone if he incorporates his wrestling because his ground, we have seen fleets of it. But, you know, everyone keeps talking about how accomplished his ground is. And it is really good. And he can wrestle some as well. And I was just thinking with the miles that he's clocked up on his body and on his face, you know, it wouldn't be good for him just to put all his eggs in one basket and stay striking, although he's good enough to stand toe-to-toe with anyone. We've seen that from him. But I just think, as a clever strategy, I just think, as you'll become an aged fighter, um, striking as much as he has, um, he needs to try to get it to the ground um, and mix it up and become more of an MMAist um, in his style. And he started to show that, and that was really exciting for me. Um, I, I started to think, well, yeah, you know, he's, a, he's really got a chance at, taken away rounds from Pettis. But Pettis, you know, on the flip side of that, he'd he done extremely well. Um, and the thing that surprised me with Pettis is he actually looked like the more of the powerful guy on, on the night. And I actually thought Cerrone would be the one hitting harder. But, um, yeah, Pettis was the one that seems to be landing a little bit more cleaner and having more consequential with his strikes when they landed than when Cerrone was landing on him. Yeah, I was... That same pace, uh, that same part of Cerrone's face started swelling up again. Mm. Um, I think it's like the third or fourth fight in a row where the same, same part of his sort of round his eye and cheek is. I know, like it's where you're getting hit, isn't it? But it's like exactly the same, uh, like the exact spa- exact spot on his face. But um, what did you make of the first round, Brett? 
Yeah, I thought um, I th- I thought you know it was going to be a close. Fight. I never thought that it, it would go the same way as the first fight did. I I thought you know Cerrone, although you know in the first fight he did get caught early, he's too good to get caught with that twice. You know what I mean? And he did change things up, and I thought he looked very good, and I did. Then I thought, and I, and, and like. I'll be honest with you, when it comes to Cerrone's backlash from the McGregor fight, coming out and saying that he didn't want to be there, it's infuriating me to see the people jump on top of that and say, and say, oh, oh the biggest fight of his career and he hasn't turned up. No, no, not many people have been in his shoes. And I'll put my hands up. I, I've been in a main event slot, but it's a difference when your main event for a UFC and you're fighting arguably one of the one of the, the greatest guys to whoever to grace this earth with when it comes to MMA, you know, whether you like him or dislike him, he's made a massive impact. And um, the, the, the event got to him as, as it, as, as it does to some people. But I feel like with, with, uh, with Cerrone, a lot of people jumped on top and it, and it just infuriated me seeing that. So I bet you we come into this fight with a little bit of a fire in his belly, which, uh, which is right. Really, you know, thinking about it, this is the, this is what he should have done. And, um, his his wrestling is so underrated, so underrated. Like 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 okay, Pettis isn't known for having the most you know successful takedown defense, but he's not an easy guy to take down. And I felt like Cerrone did take him down fairly well, easy. You know, if not only once either. And when he when he got him down, he could hold him down there if he needed to. So you know, for me, the first round, I. Obviously, the jumping switch kick was a big thing as well. Obviously, as he shot for that take on the first round, I think Pettis hit him with the jumping switch kick. I'm not sure how how much that did land, but uh, it was close anyway. But yeah, it was you know it was it was a close round. All three rounds were a close round, but I definitely feel like he 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 did he did enough in that fight personally. Yeah, I think um, I think. Do we all agree the Cerrone won the first round? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Um, so, it went into to round two then. Uh, what did Pettis do differently, Danny, in the second round? Uh, I just think that he was getting his uh, range more more suited to him. He, he's landing really good hands. Um, and that was what was really impressing me, really. He, he was able to slip a lot of shots that Cerrone was throwing back. Um, Shawnee started to look a little bit more wooden um, and, and started to look like that fighter with a little bit more miles on the clock. He was uh, um, slightly less sharp. He was keeping his head on centre line a little bit too long and getting caught on the counter. Um, yeah, I just feel like, yeah, that was what it was really. I feel like Pettis was really warmed into the fight well and um, was just more precise, just a little fresher type looking fighter to me. Did you, uh, Danny, did you think that uh, Pettis took that second round or did you give that one to Cerrone as well? Uh, it was a close round, uh, but I, I gave that one to Pettis. Um, yeah, me you, too, me you too. You gave that one to Pettis as well. Yeah. yeah. I, Pettis, just. What about you, Brett? Did you say Pettis as well? Yeah, I had Pettis win the second round. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I think he, I think he didn't. The, the, the show last night, there was a couple of like, but I, I I won't say dodgy decisions, but there was a couple of decisions, but they were close fights, you know. The decisions where I thought oh, I could have gone either way, they did, you know what I mean. But um, yeah, the, 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 in my personal opinion, I thought the Pettis had that second round. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Um, <clears throat> so 
this is where I disagreed with the the judges. Is um, I had the the final round to Cerrone. Um, what did you have in that final round, Brett? I I had Cerrone in the third in the third round. So like um, or, or like my pointless scorecards. I had it uh, twenty nine twenty eight to Cerrone because because I because at the end of the day I thought the first round. You know, not much was happening on the feet, really. There was nothing significant, as you can see. Uh, but I felt like the takedown did score big for Cerrone, so that's why I give that first round to him. The second round, then, I, I, was, I would give it to, to, to Pettis. I felt like he was a little bit stronger in the stand-up area. And in the third round, then, I'd give, I'd give it to Cerrone. So I had a 29-20 Cerrone. You know, going on Twitter, I saw a lot of people who, who thought differently, but that's the way that I scored it, you know? Yeah, I had it the same as you. Um, the judges, I like. I, I think I would have been less surprised if it was a split decision, but they added like unanimously for Pettis. What did you have, Danny? Uh, exactly the same. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Cerrone had won it, and I was really, I, my eyebrows rose a little, and I was like, oh, I was kind of gutted more because um, we, we were competing each other on who was predicting what and who was going to win. So I was a bit gutted about that. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a little surprised, really, to be honest, because, um, you know, he landed that really fresh head kick. Um, and, it, and it looked like, you know, because he's been in so many of these wars, you know, he, he was accustomed to that pressure. And it just seemed like he, he was just pressing into uh, Pettis. Um, he, his work rate was looking good. And Pettis was beginning to miss a little. Um, you know, he didn't... Pettis struggled to have that fluidity that he had in that second round. Um, and I was really impressed with Cerrone. You know, he's been around the sport so, so long. And um, and he can still up his game late in rounds, late in the fight. And I thought he did enough. But it was really close. Um, and a little bit disappointing for, for Cerrone that, you know, this is another loss. Uh, he'll probably continue to fight. Um and I hope it doesn't hope he has more successes, but I do worry that he's going to take one fight too many. Um, and regards, you know, we were talking, um, or Brett was talking about, you know, people in the back of the room and, and, and well, perhaps the reasons why Cerrone, Cerrone would think about fighting. Personally, you know, he's quite a wealthy man for one. I think he fights just because he purely loves it. Um, even putting the crowd aside and putting fans aside, he loves that one-on-one confrontation competition. I, I just think he loves it. Yeah, you could see, and like I said, he's so he's been so active. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if he was, you know, on another card in a couple of weeks fighting someone mm. else. Um, he does seem to just have a love for it. Um, so, yeah, I was going to ask you, Brett, just uh, very briefly before we go into the Greg Hardy fight, like because, like we've all mentioned there, how Pettis maybe looked a little bit, uh, a little bit off, maybe wasn't as fluid as normal. Could that be down to the? The, you know the fact the gyms are closed. It's it's very difficult to, you know, train and keep fit and do all the things that you would normally do in a fight camp. Um, you know they haven't been able to do a full fight camp really. They've had like a couple of weeks in a secure hotel or whatever. You know how hard is it for a fighter at the moment to to be ready? To to be honest, um, I think a lot of fighters are taking that risk. Um, I don't particularly <clears throat> agree with it. Like for 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 argument's sake, no. If the if the UFC for me right now and say, "Are you fit?" I'd say, "Yes, I'm extremely fit at the minute." You know what I mean? I feel like I'm probably the fittest right now than I've ever been in my life. 
but I'm not fight ready. I am, mm. I am, I am sparred. I haven't grappled since going into quarantine, and you lose that. Yeah, physically I'm fit, but mentally I'm, I'm, I'm back at zero because mentally I'm not prepared for that fight. In and I think a lot of people who took the fights last night were in the same boat. I feel like they've they've taken it. Um, kind of under the pressure of money and stuff, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, arguably for me, I was going to fight the April 25th and that was cancelled, I think, two weeks before the show was meant to go ahead and I, and I was ready to fight, you know what I mean? So I was ready to go, but even then it was a bit of a risk because my last two weeks or three weeks in camp were, were in quarantine, you know? I was taking a risk there, but if the UFC turned around and said, oh, look, would you, would you, would you want to fight now? I'd say no. I'd say at the end of the day, I, I would like my, my notice. I would like basically at least four to six weeks because, to be honest, I, I'm renowned for going extremely big after, after fights, right? Okay, And um, I start camp at an extremely heavy weight compared to what I should. And it's always been me. So, like, you know, for example, I, um, I, I fight at 135. You know, I'll get into camp, the start of camp, I'll go probably between 165, 170. You know, that's a big cut for someone like myself, you know what I mean? Especially mm. especially when you're not a big guy. You know, I'm only five foot seven. You know, I'm not a big guy. But, yeah, this quarantine has been a blessing because I've needed to change up my diet for a very long time. But... It takes, without getting too technical, it takes a lot of time to change your body. You know, it takes a lot of time. It doesn't, it's, it's not a case of just doing a week of dieting and you've changed. So, like, I usually walk around, like I said then, you know, sometimes I'll come into camp at 165 to 170. I usually walk around when I'm out of camp between 160 and 165. You know what I mean? Closer to 160, I'll be happy with. Mm. Right now, I'm right now I'm 152. So, that just shows the... The, the, the sort of like training I've been doing in quarantine. I've been changing things up my diet. I think a lot of people are not, especially fighters, are not taking advantage of this time and thinking it's time to relax and take your foot off the gas. And it's not too bad if you've if you've had a fight recently. But for yeah. myself, I needed to change something up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking, like sometimes I'll get out of the camp at 170 and I needed to kind of put myself through a really vigorous diet diet style and I've been doing this diet now for maybe eight to ten weeks so it's quite it's quite strict but I've got my weight down to 153 which is okay for me now you know I said I said in my um my nutritionist earlier I was like you know I'm, I'm uh, if I hit 155 I I get annoyed because I'm like that's a little bit heavy but going back 12 13 weeks ago if I said 155 I'd give my left arm for 155 yeah. just it's one of them <laughs> things but yeah like I said it, it, it is one of them things and I think someone like Pettis who probably hasn't had the luxury of opening the gym. But that depends. We don't really know, you know. It could be all smoke and mirrors at the end of the day. They could say, oh, I haven't been doing this, I haven't been doing that, but they've been having access to the gym. I still know fighters in the UK who are still going to gyms and training, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, and it's it's very frustrating from my point of view because I'm trying to follow these restrictions so I can get back to training, but I still feel like other people are, are doing so. But yeah, going back to the Pettis question, I do see that you can be a little bit more sloppier if you haven't been in the gym. But also, don't forget, Pettis is 170. This guy fought at 145, 155. I personally believe that Pettis' weight is 155. Maybe he's coming to the last couple of fights of his career, doesn't want to cut the weight. I completely understand, I understand and respect that. But I feel like the Pettis' weight is 155. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. 
I think um, the other thing is, like you say, we don't know. You just don't know. You don't know what fighters have had access to gyms and this, that, and the other. So you, you don't know. But um, I think for people who are maybe like not involved in the sport like you two are, is you people don't realise how real kind of like ring rust, if you like, is where you know you could be as fit as you like. You could be super fit. You know, you could be. I could be doing two hundred sit-ups a day, freaking six or seven times a day, and all sorts of stuff. I could be super fit, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be any good at fighting. Or even if I, if I was a fighter, which I'm not. But like, if you haven't had the chance to spar and do grappling and do all the training which you would do normally do on a daily basis, that's going to have a tremendous impact on how you you know. And then just doing it for like two weeks before you have a massive fight is not going to be enough to get you back up to the level, you know, that you would normally be at training every day throughout a fight camp, at least I would think. Would you go along with that, Dan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think the, the easy part, or whenever I tra train my fighters, I always tell them, look, you know, our class formats are going to be based around education and learning, and then we, in, uh, we end the sessions always with sparring, which is the physical aspect. But regards getting strong and fit, I always leave them to do that on a separate basis, you know, with, with personal trainers that we draft in or they get their own. Um, yeah, staying fit, staying strong, you know, the hardest part about that is just motivation to do so. But if you've got that motivation, that's actually quite an easy thing to do in, in the big scheme. Everyone's getting older nutritionists now as well, so they can monitor their weights as well as being fit and healthy. But the sparring aspect, that's how you sharpen your tools. Um, you know, any striker or striker or inactivity guy know that really you need to be either hitting pads or certainly sparring to keep that sharpness with distance in a range um and and along with that you know wrestling is distance orientated you know people think of wrestling where people just lock in horns but it ain't the case in mla you normally get one that's trying to strike and one that's trying to avoid being engaged by the wrestler so that's timing based and and you can't sharpen those tools by just being fit and strong you need to be sparring to get that that sort of sharpness to your game. So, would you say, Dan, that it's in, to, in this like lockdown period, is it easier for someone who's a predominantly a striker to stay sharper than it is maybe someone who's predominantly a grappler? Uh, no, I think gra uh, grappling's uh, that, that's really touch orientated. So you, you you quite often feed off your your, your opponent as you go. Striking, there's the, a distance between you. So that, that's a much harder. There's so many more things to take, take into account when you're striking in MMA. Of course, you've got the takedown aspects. You've got punches, kicks, knees, distancing, different types of footwork, different ranges uh, in terms of someone's reach. Um, there's so much more um, things that are, are, are important to maintain uh, your, your maximum sharpness with. Um, I think with, with the grappling, really, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's something you're, you're always going to have. As long as you're fit, you, you, you've got a good level, you're going to keep that good level. Of course, it's always going to do you good service to keep grappling as well, but I think it would be more important for a striker to keep striking personally. Cool. Sorry, I, I, I go on these tangents of asking these questions, and now there's two of you. i got all these questions coming <laughs> as I'm going away. We'll go. Right. Greg Hardy versus uh, Jorgen de Castro. I did not see this going three rounds. I was wrong. Um, what did you make of the first round, Brett? Yeah, it was um, it was a hard fight. 
considering that, like, for a fan point of view, looking at the rest of the card and watching, like, Nico Price versus Vincent Luque as well, it was a really hard fight to get into. I felt like it was just uh, tit for tat. Yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg Hardy... I did. I did see. I did see him winning, winning, winning the fight. You know what I mean? It was just. Um, it was one of them things for me. What it wasn't an exciting fight, especially at that heavyweight, and and it's a bit different for for, for Greg Hardy because he has been in his in them exciting fights. So it was a bit unusual to see that fight. But I did feel like the level of competition had stepped up as well, though. You know, at the end of the day, uh, them fights are only going to get harder now, and they're not going to go the way you 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 originally had planned, but. Yeah, I did see it. I did see it going his way, though. Yeah, for sure. Do you think De Castro's his hardest fight yet? Um, yes, hardest fight. I don't think um, like like there was his one of his last opponents was a Russian guy. Uh, mm. I can't re- I can't remember his name. Sim Simatarov or something. It might have been. Uh, but I felt like he was. He should have been Greg Hardy's toughest fight, but the whole. Buzz of of I think and, and they, I think they put him really high up on the card, but the the Russian fight that seemed to kind of buckle under the pressure. He would have been a real problem for Greg Hardy, but obviously that wasn't the case. But um, yeah, it was the last night was definitely his toughest fight for sure. Don't think it was his toughest opponent, but his toughest yeah. fight. You know, skill wise, it should have been the Russian, but the Russian just didn't didn't turn up on the night. You know, so like like I said, a bit like the Sarone. Only thing, really, you know what I mean. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But um, I read up a lot on that Russian guy, and he was a really, really good, good really, really good MMA fighter. And um, just a shame I felt like that that Russian was probably his best opponent, but he just didn't turn up for that night. But last night, what's his name? Castro, is it? Castro was was um, yeah, De Castro, yeah, was definitely yeah, definitely his toughest fight to date. And not that it was an extremely tough fight for him, but it was definitely his toughest fight to date. Uh, yeah, I just having a look then to see uh, who uh, Greg Hardy fought. So yeah, Jorgen De Castro yesterday he lost to Alexander Volkov. I forgot about that. Um, so uh, and then oh, Sicoli was a no contest. Ah um, uh, yeah, there he was. Uh, there's no way I'm pronouncing that right. Dmitry yeah. Smolokayov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, um, he's a cool guy. That he's a cool guy. That Russian guy. I was having a few drinks with him in Vegas a few years ago, uh, before before I knew about the Greg Hardy fight and stuff. But mm-hmm. he was a uh, he was a cool guy. All fairness to him. Oh, it's sweet. Like uh, yeah, v- v- Volkov's probably one of his harder fights as well. Um, yeah, like, yeah. Like obviously, Greg Hardy's not always the most popular, uh, you know, fighter for. Things outside of the uh, <laughs> yeah, outside see, of the, outside of the cage, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's not uh, he's not popular, is he? But um, Danny, yeah. what did you make of uh, of this fight, first round? Yeah, did you have? Yeah, yeah. sorry, I was gonna sorry, uh, just Brett. Did you have uh, De Castro or Greg Hardy win in the first round? Um, no, I had I had Greg winning that first round. I did have Greg Hardy winning that first round. Okay. Um, sorry, Dan. Go on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, re- really close overall. Um, to me, De Castro looked a little bit more clinical with his striking. He just looked a little bit more tidy. Um, you know, ha- had real tight stance, looking looking to counter really well with his leg kicks. Um, the only thing that was an issue for him, really, for all three rounds, not just the first one, really, was his overall output. 
the, the, the outputs that he did look quite good, um, looked really clinical, you know, considering they're heavyweight guys, he looked really well, um, well directed with everything he was doing. Just, yeah, just not enough on the gas pedal. It, 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 was, it was almost like I felt like he could have perhaps gone with that work rate a little bit more than he did. Um, yeah, just slap, sat back on his laurels a little bit, uh, trying to really wait for um, Greg Hardy to come to him more than taking himself to, to Greg Hardy. Um, and that's not really what you do against someone with such a long reach and height advantage. Yeah, I had, um, I've written in my notes, I've written in massive giant letters and gone over it about a million times, uh, work rate for De Castro yeah. because I felt like I, get, I gave the first round to De Castro just, but um, I felt like if he had worked, not harder, that's the wrong word, but just maybe put out his output had been higher, I would have... Felt yeah, like you yeah, put, um, put Greg Hardy yeah, under looking, a lot more pressure. Like, yeah, I, I, I had had the cash down, winning just on the fact that he was uh, more clinical, more consequential with his countering. Um, and then what about uh, round two, Brett? How did you have that one? Did you have Hardy or De Castro for that one? No, I, I, I had Hardy again. You know, I, I to be honest, I had Hardy for all, all three really. Like mm. I said, they were they were close rounds. That third round was a bit more. Hardy's way then, if you want to put it that way. But yeah, you know, like 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 Danny said, I I, don't th- I feel like they could have put the, they could have put the gas on a bit, bit more with that fight. Definitely, you know what I mean. And like it was really really and like fights like that really like kind of like frustrate me. I get I get that people need to be careful and not committed to shots and stuff. But then there's a fine line between that and not doing something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um. That fight kind of kind of ticked that box for me. Really, really difficult to kind of watch them fights, especially when you're known as a as a scrapper, and then you have them fights. It's like a, a anticlimactic. It was the same thing as like Pacquiao and Mayweather. It was so anticlimactic, but yeah. uh, it was just it was one like of them that, things. Um, you know? It was like that Engano and um, who was? Oh it? yeah, yeah. Uh, Derek oh. Lewis. Yeah, and you were expecting this banger, which was going to go. He was either yeah. going to go thirty seconds, or just be like three rounds of them just beating the crap out of each other, and yeah. they just like basically hugged each other for three rounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think fighters I think fighters get trapped into the you know trying to protect their records, and and don't yeah. get me wrong. Ultimately, this this sports about winning and not losing, but what you know you must also remember as a fighter, um, at the end of the day, you're entertainers. And um, you know you, you you've got to really chase the win, and, and in the process of trying to chase that win and look like you really want to win it every round and ultimately win the fight, you've got to be you've got to be pushing forward all the time. Um, but when you get someone playing safe, it, it can make for a really oh. poor poor showing. And I think that's going to go against fighters' potential earnings for a fight purse, especially with someone like Dana White. Dana White is really <coughs> quite vocal when he's not impressed with what happened between two fighters that should have had a real good good matchup and, and don't. He really blames them. And I absolutely agree with Dana White on that part. Yeah, I, whilst I agree with you, uh, 99.9% of the time, he, uh, he's got a bit of a soft spot for Greg Hardy. Um, and I kind of think, like, unless Greg Hardy does something even worse than he's already done, he's going to be all right. Because as long as he keeps winning, he'll be all right um but uh you mentioned brett the uh the luke fight from the prelims um just to circle back that 
the Luke fight on the prelims was like what I thought this fight was going to be like, where it was yeah. a proper brawl, blood everywhere, just and uh, this was not it. Um, so I had uh, I had the first round to De Castro and then rounds two and three to Hardy. Um, you had all three, Brett, to Hardy, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, like, like you guys said, it, it, the, the the first round was close, but um, you know, I, I kind of give. I, I think he picked every round to be honest. Not like majorly, like like some of these some of these fight um, decisions, they can go either way. You know what I mean? Like, like, for example, like that first round. If if like I think the the judges scored a thirty twenty seven all to Greg Hardy. But if someone said, oh, no, Greg lost that first round, I wouldn't be like, oh, an uproar because of that was yeah. the decision. Like, all the decisions last night were, uh, you know, they were, they were close. At the end of the day, the fights were close, the ones that went the decision. It was the same um, on the prelims. It was Carla Esparza versus Michelle Watson, which was a close fight. Uh, I think that went the right way. A lot of other people didn't. But, you know, it, it depends. It depends what, what sort of style... You are as a person. Do, do you enjoy the wrestling? Do you enjoy the striking? Like subconsciously, strikers will favor striking, and wrestlers will favor wrestling. It's just the thing is, and I'll put my hand up. You know, I thought Cara Esparza won that fight. Uh, surprise, surprise! She's a grappler slash wrestler. So you know what yeah. I mean. It, it's just one of them things, and um, you know the, the. But the decisions last night weren't super bad. People were annoyed about it, but. I've seen a lot worse decisions. People like Ross Pearson versus Diego Sanchez. That, that they're oh. bad decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, that that's that's the thing. They're the ones to be up in uproar about, don't they? No yeah, yeah. Like last yeah, night. Yeah. Um so just finishing off on this fight, uh, Dan, um did you have the, the last two rounds to Hardy? Yeah, yeah on, on work rate really. Um I think that uh, to Castro, you know, really did some visual damage to Hardy's leg, and I think he sh- could could have or should have focused on that more. But there was an incident where he hurt his foot, so maybe that made him not be able to target target that leg um, as much as was perhaps needed to try to put a, a big influence on any of those uh, final rounds, the second or third round. But yeah, it, I just feel like um, Hardy had the, the better injection of pace. It wasn't quite as tidy as what Castro was doing, but Castro just wasn't um, investing enough work rate. Um, yeah. Uh, next up, we had uh, Jeremy Stevens versus Calvin Qatar. <coughs> um, it got stopped in the two minutes 42 of round two. Um, and I felt really, really sorry for um, Jeremy Stevens just because I just thought, like, he felt, I think he deserved to finish the round like but you know there was blood everywhere he got caught with a nasty elbow um what did you think of this one uh Brett? yeah I, to, to be honest uh i i'm a fan of both guys i'd say i'm more of a jeremy stevens fan for his for his years in the ufc i think he actually overtook uh during the fight he overtook diego sanchez's time of um the fourth the fourth highest basically he done about six and a half hours of UFC cage time. So wow. he overtook Diego Sanchez last night, which is incredible. Um, but Calvin Keita is another guy that's on the radar. A really, really good guy. Exceptional jab. Exceptional. 
an absolutely amazing job. And I thoroughly enjoyed the fight. I really enjoyed that fight. <clears throat> when it comes to the actual technical elements of that fight, <clears throat> I thought I thought Calvin Qatar was, especially in that first round, was struggling with them leg kicks. Um, you could see a lot, though, from, from Calvin Qatar's movement in that fight. He is a boxer in MMA. And I learned this the hard way myself, doing loads of boxing with... Um, Darren Wilson, who was Nathan Cleverley's uh, uh, former pad man, you know, he won a, a WB, I think it was a, a WBO with Cleverley. It might have been, no, it might have been WBA actually with Cleverley. <clears throat> and I did loads of boxing with Darren Wilson. And when we went up with the Pedro fight, um, I got exposed to leg kicks. And um, Calvin Qatar kind of had a deal with that last night. And I thought he did really well uh, defending the kicks originally, but. They were starting to become a problem, you know. Like if it didn't fight, if it, the fight didn't stop at that point, how many more could he have taken? And bear in mind, if you rewind back a few years ago when Jeremy Stevens fought Gilbert Melendez, he battered Melendez with them kicks to a point where he couldn't walk. And um, <clears throat> it's an underused tool. It's an underused tool. And uh, you know, going back before the Melendez fight, if you ever said to me that Jeremy Stevens would. Would, would be throwing leg kicks or a laugh at you, but uh, he kind of turned that move into his own. And um, yeah, I thought that first round was he he definitely exposed a weakness. Not sorry, not not a, I wouldn't say he exposed the weakness, but he definitely took advantage of a weaker element of Calvin Qatar's game. But all fairness to Calvin Qatar, like you said in the post fight interview, he's been working loads on it, and um, you know. You know, if the fight went on longer, would it have made a difference? We don't know. But um, I felt like he dealt with it fairly well. Yeah, I thought, um, just be- up until just before it got stopped, um, I actually thought Jeremy Stevens was looking like he was really getting the momentum. And he looked, I thought he was going to, I thought, oh, this is, if this goes, you know, all the way to the third round, I, I fancy Stevens will take this. And, and then obviously Qatar. Like I said, hit him with that just a brutal uh, elbow strike. Um, Danny, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I really enjoyed. This was a real exciting matchup for me, um, and, and you know it didn't disappoint. Uh, I was really impressed with the way Stevens come out. You know, he he really come out chasing uh, Qatar down, didn't let him settle with his hands, and was doing all all the right things. Um, you know, to take the fight in his direction is really impressing me, but. You know, I know Qatar, he seems to get stronger as fights goes on. He can make adjustments. I know being kicked to the leg has been a weakness in the past. Um, so I also know that it will be within his training format to make adjustments if it becomes an issue again. Um, and I felt like he made those changes. Um, he's just such a good boxer. Really, really is. And not all boxing-orientated fighters can bring their hands to the MMA you know, platform. But I think he's doing it really, really well. Um, and I think just think he's going to just hone that craft better and better and better. But the other thing what impresses me is not just the fact that he can deliver incredible boxing combinations. It's the fact that when he's in that pocket and people throw back on him, he's just so good at just not being hit. He's, he has a really um, nice in-pocket tight hand. So whatever hand he's delivering a strike with, if it's his left, his right hand's plastered to the side of his face. You know, like Phantom of the Opera mask. He's got one here, then he's got the other one there. He's just got such tight form. 
And, um, you know, that's what pressure, uh, impresses me. Even if he's fatiguing a little bit, he's tight formed. <clears throat> Even when um, the pace is vigorous, he's tight formed. When he's hurting, he's tight. His, his form is tight. It's just really, really impressive to me. His head movement as well, isn't it? Just, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's proper. Um, what would you like to see Qatar do next? Because I think this was, you know, this was a big fight for him. Um, he was he's ranked nine. Jeremy Stevens was ranked seven. Um, I think a lot of people felt like Jeremy Stevens would probably take this. Um, <clears throat> that didn't happen. Brett, what do you think? What would you like to see Qatar do next? I, I to be honest, um, you know, going back to the the Zabit fight, he felt like he he didn't put his foot on the gas straight away. And I still don't think he did that realistically with um, <clears throat> with Stevens last night. I don't. Uh, I felt like he could have been uh, maybe he could have been a little bit better there. But at the end of the day, a win's a win. You know what I mean? It's, it's just one of them things. But I'm I'm trying to look through the the the, the rankings now. Uh, there's a couple of guys like at the end of the day, I think at the minute Zabit is ranked third. You know what mm. I mean? And um, I felt like. If that if that fight back in Russia was was a five round fight, I I do believe that Qatar would have taken that. I do believe that you know what I mean. Like 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 Danny said, uh, he does get stronger in a fight, and I think them five round main events are going to suit him a lot better than they are the most fighters. But there's a list of fighters he could potentially face. At the end of the day, when I watch Max Holloway beat up Ortega, I definitely feel like Calvin Qatar could do that as well. So a good stylistic matchup for him would be people like um, Brian Ortega, maybe Korean Zombie. You know what I mean? They're the guys who <clears throat> who I'd like to see him up against next. You know, at the end of the day, he's fought Zabit, who's in the top top three. So why not put him in there with a guy who's maybe a little bit further out, but who's closer to that mark? You know, mm. he's got a little bit of momentum behind him now. Um, you know, maybe another fighter who's who's in that top ten, maybe one or two spaces down from him. Then give him someone like the Korean Zombie or Brian Ortega or even Max Holloway. You know what I mean? That would be a good fight, actually, Max Holloway versus him. But you know, at the end of the day, maybe I might be pushing him a little bit too much too quickly. But having said that, you know, I would like to see that maybe Brian Ortega fight for sure. Why not? Yeah, I gotta be honest. The majority of those names, I'd quite like to see Qatar fight. Um, Korean Zombie piqued my interest because that was one I hadn't thought of yet. And um, that straight away, I was like, oh, I'd quite like to see that. But um, yeah, Brian Ortega as well. Um, and I think eventually, well, certainly if he keeps improving and keeps, uh, you know, going the way he is, then we'll probably see him uh, rematch Zabita at some point. Um Yeah. <clears throat> what about what do you think about uh, Jeremy Stevens, uh, Danny? Do you think it's just a case of go away, you know, get the reps in, and then come back stronger in his next fight? Because, like, realistically, you know, he didn't look too bad until you know the latter part of it. Yeah, I mean, it depends what he's, you know, his mental mindset is after this, and what his financial situation is. Um, you know, if if money is the means, he'll probably stay in there still. He's certainly good enough to. Uh, but you know, it's about having you know that that hunger in more than one way. 
Uh, I think sometimes when a fighter's on his way up and he's trying to chase those financial purses, that could be a good driving force. Um, but he has been around a little while, um, and you, you you sometimes you know got got to wonder is he willing to like climb that hill again and again? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure which way he's really going to take it. Is he good enough to still match anyone in the top ten? Yeah, he could. He could certainly put a good fight up. Um, yeah, but you just got to wonder, really. It's it's really down to how much he wants it or how much he needs it. Yes, I think so. Um, so next up is the big boys. And uh, I had to listen to a friend of mine tell <coughs> me for the last six or seven days that um, uh, Rosenstruck was going to expose uh, Francis Ngannou as a... What did he call him? He called him a fraud... And uh, he said, basically, he said his confidence is, you know, his he, uh, his confidence is gone. He he was exposed when he when he had his loss. And I kept telling him, I said, like after he had those couple of losses, he's come back, he's got his edge straight, and he looks every bit the monster he did before. And probably actually, I think he looks more dangerous now because <coughs> he's been knocked out, and he's lost. He's tasted defeat. He didn't like it very much. And uh, yeah, Rosenstruck kind of found that out. He doesn't like long fights either. Uh, Brett, what do we make of this twenty seconds? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it wasn't that long. Yeah, like you said twenty <laughs> seconds. But um, yeah, Francis Ngannou, absolute beast at the minute. And I feel like you know he, he's had his little blip, and I feel like a lot of fighters do have the little blip, and then they come back from this. Like I think the um, going back on like the fight with Derek Lewis, like like we spoke about earlier, that was very frustrating. You know what I mean? I felt like that the the Derek Lewis fight could have been, you know, you could have definitely performed a little bit better there. But, you know, coming back from and then I think after that then he became Velasquez. the last three the last three wins he's had, Cain Velasquez, Junior de Santos and Rosenstrike. Like they're, they're they're three massive names in that in that division. Uh, three fight win streak. But looking at the the bigger thing for me when I when I when with Francis Ngannou is I feel like he's more matured. He uh, yeah okay it, the, he he went guns crazy in this fight twenty second KO. There's nothing else there from him. Like he beat the guy who's ranked sixth in the world. You know what I mean? It it was and it was and it was and it was easy for him. So the only thing I see him doing now is is that is that is another shot at the belt. You know what I mean? After yeah. DC fights Steve Bay for it first, I think. You know, at the end of the day, I'm looking through this list of fight the, the the top fifteen of the UFC. You know, he's knocked out. I think he's knocked out three, four, six, eight. You know what I mean? This guy, this guy has knocked these guys clean out. So personally, I I, I see him fighting for a for a for a belt next, but. Um, it depends completely on the Stipe and the Daniel Cormier thing. I think, you know, he needs to change some things up before that fight, though, especially the wrestling side of his game. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a good watch, and it was nice to see him back to the way that we all know him, really, you know? Indeed. So, me and Danny have been, um, just very quickly, I want to ask you this. Me and Danny have been um, reviewing the, the early UFCs in the... Uh, you know, in lockdown where there's been no current events. So we're up to UFC 7 at the moment. But uh, obviously in those first couple of UFCs, mate, there was no weight limits. Would you fancy, uh, fancy a go with Francis 
Engano. You reckon you could take him? I'd, I'd bite. I'd, I'd bite his ankles off. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in them days, mate, there was low blows and headbutts allowed as well. So yeah, right. I'd, I'd be perfect. I'd, I'd be the right size for it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, he's a, he's a he's a big boy. Um, oh hello. You know what? Well, I think we'd be all right. we might be all right because they do the groin strikes. So you yeah, can use yeah, these nuts yeah. as, a, as a speedball, and I'll act like a squirrel a and try and bite them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tell you what. One fight, one fight I personally would like to see is Francis Ngannou versus Greg Hardy. But that's just my personal. Uh, you know, thing, that would be yeah. an actual matchup after after the performances they had. So yeah, that would definitely be a good yeah. one. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I, you know, you know that Uncle Dana likes Greg Hardy, so um, I think he's looking to put him in another bigger test. But I think they won't jump him up that much next. Might be wrong. I, I might be wrong, but um, I see him maybe fighting the guys like another heavyweight that fought last night that Greg Hardy could fight next. Not that it would stylistically be a good fight. It would be all, all your neck. You know what I mean? The, the Russian guy, but um. You know, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of things there, but yeah, uh, Danny, what did you make of uh, Francis's uh, performance? Just uh, yeah, briefly. it's hard to read much into uh, that performance, really. Uh, I, we do know, and like I said last week, I do feel like he's um, a work in progress in terms of his improvements. He has made those improvements. Need to make more improvements, but uh, yeah, we can't really take much much from that. He did what he needed to do. He did what he's done so many times. That's obviously his style to do so. Um, and that is good to see. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't really get tested in a way we can really judge as he still made more improvements from, from the last few fights. Really, I would suggest that he has. Um, uh, we, we just didn't get that to see that tested. Uh, it's a great win for him. I, I, I like him as a fighter. I think he's, he's, he's good in the division. He's exciting to watch. Yeah, he certainly got his confidence back anyway. Um, yeah. Okay, so we got uh, next up was the, the co-main event, uh, Triple C, as he likes to call himself. Here we go. Brett's ready for this now. Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz. Um, one thing I will say is um, I really, really like both guys. Um, I really like Dominic Cruz. I've enjoyed his fights over the years. But um, I was saying to Danny off-air just before you joined us, Brett, was I was a little bit disappointed with the interview which he did afterwards. Not the one in the cage, but he did another one afterwards where he basically was implying like the referee smelled of alcohol and cigarettes and kind yeah. of like giving it. And I just thought, come on. like If that's a genuine concern, like if he's genuinely saying that he thinks, you know, that there's a problem in that aspect of it, you know, take it to the Dana or whoever, because otherwise it just seems like a bit bitter and a bit, I don't know. And I really like Dominic Cruz. I'm a massive fan. Um, I really like his commentary as well. I think he's a very, very good analyst. But um, yeah, that kind of, I don't know, didn't like that. Not a fan of that. I like, um, I don't know, I like my fighters to beat the crap out of each other and then, you know, take it on the chin one way or the other. Um, so, right, round number one. Uh, let's start with you, Brett, because I know you're itching to talk about this one. So, uh, Bantamweight Championship, round one. Yeah, um, you know, I thought, um, obviously, looking back at previous fights of Dominic, especially the uh, fight with TJ 
for the for the belt with his first initial comeback. Leg kicks are a big factor. If you looked at the weaker areas of that fight for Dominic Cruz, leg kicks, and I felt like Cejudo wanted to do that. You know, he's got a very um, Dominic's got a Willie Pep style. If you don't know Willie Pep, he was like an old school boxer who, who used to move around a lot. He's got that really style, and the way you stop fighters moving around is just kick them in the legs until they stop moving. You know, and uh, I think it was a very very wise decision. Like Henry's got a good relationship with his coaches and. To watch his progress over the last four or five years has been absolutely crazy with his striking. You know, I think I feel like Henry Sudo's striking's become another level. Um, but yeah, you know, he looked he looked really good last night, and 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 it's an it's an absolute shame to say that he'd be leaving the the division. Really, you know what I mean? I think he has a lot of potential, but um, yeah, it just is what it is. But he looked good. So did Dominic, though. Dominic. Didn't look bad, you know. I'm not saying that I'm talking about Zahudo, but Dominic did not look bad. I thought Dom looked really well. I thought his movement was really good, um, and I felt like he, 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 you know, just got caught. I guess, you know. Do I think? Do I think the decision was a bad one? Yes and no, you know. Um, if that was on a local MMA show and Danny, you got loads of fighters. If that happened to one of your amateur fighters, I think you'd be thankful that the fight got stopped there. And I, and I, and I would be also. But this isn't a small leisure centre show. This is the UFC and you're fighting for the, the most prestigious UFC title, uh, uh, U, sorry, MMA belt on on the planet, you know. And, um, and especially because this is, I, I would like to have a chat with Mark Gordon about this, is because of how do you approach as a referee? Now, I've never been a referee. Don't know how to referee. I'm not saying it's an easy job because it, it's not. How do you approach it? If Because you always go in the back change room to check on the fighters, to have a chat with them before you, you referee them. How do you approach it when someone looks you in the eyes and says, right, if I'm in a bit of, bit of trouble here, I want you to let it on until, basically, until I get knocked out. You know, How does a referee approach that? Because apparently that's what... Dominic said in the back change room was look you know if I do get caught let it go you know how how does the ref approach that but you know I find that that's a very interesting question because if it was me in that same situation I would be very annoyed like Dominic I probably wouldn't have come out and said that Keith Peterson smelled like fags and alcohol <laughs> but um, but at the end of the day it does intrigue me to, to, to see what a referee thinks in them situations yeah, I'd love to get um, like an, an MMA top ref on and ask him that sort of question because there's a couple of questions I'd like to put to them. So if there's any MMA referees watching, get in touch and uh, we'll we'll, uh, yeah. we'll we'll answer the questions. But um, but equally, uh, the one aspect of it for me was so Jack Shaw said earlier said earlier on social media. Obviously, you you know you're both familiar with Jack. It's um. You train with him, Brett, and me and Danny talk about him a lot. It's like he said, look, you, if you take a massive knee to the head, and then you take like eleven or twelve unanswered strikes to the head, most referees are going to stop it. There's no matter, you know, all for all fighters will probably say, um, you know, don't stop it unless they get knocked out. But the referees have got a like a duty of care. Um, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because then you look at the main event, and I thought Herb Dean 
timed the stoppage to perfection with Tony Ferguson. He let it go and he let it go because he knew Tony Ferguson could take shot after shot after shot. But as soon as Tony Ferguson's legs went and he looked all over the place, that was it, done. So it was interesting. That does make you wonder, though, that what happened? What would have happened if Herb did, had ref the first fight? Then you know, with the with the with the with the Cruz fight, what would what what would his approach have be? You know, I'd be I'd be intrigued about that. You know, because when it comes to referees, Herb Dean is probably one of the best on the planet. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a bit biased. I think Mark Gorda is one of the best on the planet. Um, but Keith Peterson is still, you know, not many people know his name really. I think Keith yeah. might. Might have, might have ref me once or twice, you know what I mean? He's been good. I've been I've been very lucky when, when it comes to the, the referees, Touchwood. I had an absolutely fantastic referee for my fight with Pedro Munoz, Blake Rice. Um, like I thought that he could probably stop the fight a couple of places and he didn't he let it go on. And I was very thankful for that, you know what I mean? I, I really was. But, um, you know, it does make you wonder. And I, and I do feel it was slightly early, my personal decision, but then again, you know, he was eating a lot of unanswered shots. But yes, you could argue that he was getting back to his feet, you know. At the end of the day, you know, getting up in MMA, you're going to take a punch. It's like, it's like I love that question when a new kid comes into training. I get stuck in, Mount. How do I not get punched? And it's like, well, unfortunately, you're going to get punched. You know what I mean? It's one of them things. And especially with standing up, you might have to take a couple of clean shots. And especially, especially with certain fighters who shoot for the kill when they've hurt someone. What I mean by that is someone like Sahudo, who will be on that as quick as they can. I've only ever seen two fighters who react to dropping someone and them jumping on top of each other. There's two fighters who stand out how quick they really do that. Sahudo is one of them. Obviously, years of wrestling, he's a flyweight. He is quick. Once he hurts you, he's on you. And another guy is ironically another flyweight who's fighting a bantamweight is um, John Dodson. These two fighters will just jump on top of you, and and you have to take that into consideration as well. Like at the end of the day, were were them shots really hard? Were they more like rabbit punches? But because they're so fast, it looks a lot more devastating than what it is. You know, there's all these different factors. But what you got to remember as well is the referee has a split second to make a decision. And at the end of the day, you know, Keith Peterson could probably sleep at night now knowing that he's done it for the fight to safety. Even though Dominic Cruz is really annoyed, yeah. Dominic Cruz is okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, quick question, Dan, before I ask for your views on a fight. Um, from a refereeing point of view, should there be a difference in how the referee referees it uh, because he knows Tony Ferguson can take shot after shot after shot after shot or should it just be the same for all fighters uh, well no I, I just I don't think it's necessarily what shot should you take it it's how you receive them if you have a look what happened to Dominic Cruz he got he got knocked down off his feet and, and then he got cluster shotted there after that so yeah it is a really hard balance but a referee's there to father the, or to parent the, the the situation, he's there ultimately for the safety. So I don't think it matters you know, what what anyone says backstage. Like, oh, if I get knocked down, let me carry on till I'm knocked out. The referee ain't going to do that. He's there to, to to be there as a duty of care. 
and, and to look after the fight. Could you imagine um, if, if if referees were uh, going to let fights like that go, Top. and you're going to get yeah, you're going to you're going to get more people get seriously hurt and, and maybe get a fatality. All that will ever do is, is um, impair the sport that's trying to continue to grow. Yes, MMA is big, but it's still quite fragile in its growth process, just like any child when it begins to to, to grow. It's got to get into adulthood. And, and get to a point where it's like um, like boxing. Boxing, no matter what happens now, is always going to be around. But MMA could still have doors shut on it in different countries like France. I think France only just recently um, allowed yeah, MMA yeah, yeah, that, as a sport. Yeah, that was recent. Um, that was... Yeah, but the UK is still in a fragile position. If, it, if we ended up with a handful of fatalities um, within a two-year period, we could end up having that sport banned over here so, so easily. So the referees are there for the safety of the fighters, but also for the safety of the sport so we can carry on having it as a sport spectacle. Um, you know, look, if you get knocked down and, and, and someone's quick on you and you're unable to get yourself into a scramble scenario and they hit you, in, that's just part of the sport and part of the rule set. Um, you just have to take it. That's the way it is. Um, you know, what would you rather see? Would you rather see um, a fight go on too far or a fight get stopped maybe slightly too early? Um, because slightly too early to mean just could mean that it means it just didn't go too far. Um, I'd rather see it be a little early than than, than otherwise. But it, it is a difficult balance. Certainly, yet yeah, if they're amateurs, certainly stop it real quick. But um, um, when it's pro, yes, it does go on a little bit longer. But the referees are going to be more experienced also. Um, yeah, I, I just think as well, you, a referee allowing a fight to go on too too long and then something untoward happens, they're probably going to lose their job on the big stage. Um, so they're protecting their jobs, protecting the fighters and protecting the sport. Uh, and that's that's really my, my, my take on it. It is just part of the, the, the striking format. So you know, for me, but maybe you know, as a split-second reaction, for Cruz to stand a chance for that not to have happened against someone like Cejudo, because Brett's exactly right. Cejudo jumped straight on it. Um, just another fighter, by the way, that I think is equally as good is that um, Zabidis. I think he's very, very good at well. He'll be on you like a rash. Um, these really lightweight guys, they're quick on their feet, and they can do these rabbit punches that can look you know, v visually good. But we know as fighters, they don't do outright damage, but they could. Um yeah, I just think that's just the, the, the way it goes. Remember, we, I can't remember the female fighters we looked at, looked at um, Sai, not long ago, um, and the ref just didn't stop it. She was taking punch after punch after punch in mount. Um, oh, and man. that was almost sickening to see, but that would be equally as sickening for me to see on a, on a guy, let alone a woman. Um, you know, it, it leaves you scratching your head why the ref wouldn't jump in. Mm. A Do real difficult a one. It's a problem with consistency, I think, with refereeing. In terms of if it was consistently, it was kind of stopped on the earlier side of kind of with a bit of caution, but it was the same, you know, in every fight and every event. So everyone knows where they stand. I think that would be one thing, but I think it is the in inconsistency of it, which perhaps frustrates fighters, coaches, fans and alike. Um, Danny, what did you think of Dominic Cruz's performance? Because we obviously spoke last week. We weren't sure, you know, if he'd be a bit rusty um, coming yep. up against Cejudo as well. We wondered whether, you know, which way it was going to go. Yeah, I, I think if Cruz was uh, Cruz was to come back and, and fight many of the other fighters that are perhaps in that top ten, um, I think he would have been able to put on a much better performance. The fact that he's fighting the person who's who's 
you know, champion two different weight divisions in the UFC. I mean, to champion one division is, is an incredible feat, but to do it over two divisions, so who knows, obviously a special talent. Uh, and from what I saw of that fight, an improving one at that, um, I think he done ever so well. Um, but Cruz is a reactive well, footwork orientated, he's a, a footwork <laughs> reactive type fighter. Um, and to try to do that with someone that's not only super fight sharp, um, but that short stature, he, he's really, really quick out the blocks with his footwork. Um, I think that made it really hard for uh, Cruz to shine. I think Cruz, I think the, the best thing he did do, he, he landed like a switch knee that could have led to something consequential. But um, I just think he was always up against it to come in off of cage rust, such as he was. I don't think he's been out of training in a big way, um, but it's no replacement for real competition. Indeed. Um so, just before we move on to the main event, uh, I wanted to ask you both this question. Um, you can answer it at exactly the same time if you want. Just in one word, does anyone believe that Henry Cejudo is retiring? Oh. Do you want to go first? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I'd say yes. Yeah. Do you? I, I, know that, that might, I, might, I know that might seem a bit surprising. Um, but I think, that, I think Daniel Coleman made a, made a good point. This isn't the first time he's retired from something. This this is the second time he's retired from something. He retired from wrestling at 21 years old. Didn't look back. He was young, retiring from wrestling, and then and then all of a sudden now he was to retire from MMA. And I think there is a problem with his pay. I think he could probably uh, he wants he would like more money to try and basically say he's going to retire now. UFC kind of put their hand in their pocket and say, oh well, hold on a minute, we'll offer you this much. Mm. But I I truly feel like. What he said last night in the Octagon is genuine. He wanted to be at the top of the tree. And the, I think about it. There's nothing else that he can actually do. There's not. There's nothing else. No. So now, the only thing he can do is financially, is financially get better, which would be taking fights. But then that's going to affect his legacy. So I do believe that, yeah, potentially this, this will be the last time we see him. Um... I won't be surprised if he turns around in six months and says, look, I'm coming back, you know, at the end of the day. But for me, if, put it this way, if, if Dominic Cruz, uh, sorry, not Dominic Cruz, if Cejudo said he was going to retire, I would believe him a lot more than someone like TJ Dillashaw said he was going to retire. You know what I mean? Yeah. He is someone who has been there and done it. Won the flyweight belt, held the, the flyweight and the, the bantweight belt at the same time. Olympic champion. What else can he do? What, is he going to go off... This is, a, this is a shout. People find me crazy. The only way that gets better, and people will laugh at me when I say this, is if he goes to featherweight and fights Volkanovski. That's the only way that gets better for him. Will they ever do that? I don't think so, man. You know what I mean? I think although, although a fight with Volkanovski is a lot better than a fight with Max Holloway, because yeah. Volkanov, Volkanovski is a lot shorter, you know, but then obviously the size difference would be absolutely massive. But mm. I'm just saying that's the only way it get that's the only way it gets better for him. Yeah, I've seen um so I think just my opinion, I've never met man, I've never spoken to the man obviously. Um my opinion is that maybe I've heard him uh, over the last few months mention money a lot, that he's not probably getting paid what he should be considering his accolades and his skill level. Um so I tend to think maybe, you know, if UFC offer him a big deal to hang around, he probably will. But, like I said, 
I've never met him. I've never spoken to him. So I've got no, um, you know, no insight other than guessing. However, uh, he has also talked uh, numerous times about doing something with the WWE. Um, and they will pay him money. They will pay him a lot of money to do it. So, you know, he's got options, man. He's top of the tree. Uh, Danny, what about you? What do you think? Where is Cejudo going to retire? Yeah, or... I, I mean, yeah, I believe that's a real true possibility that he, he will. Um, I think that's a real shame because I think he's at the absolute peak right now. But, you know, when you're right at the very top, all you can do is maintain that. Uh, and you're eventually going to, you know, you're going to topple off. Um, probably the smart thing to do is to retire because he, he, he has done practically everything. And yeah, he could go up to featherweight, but then could he, you know, tank that legacy that he's already created for himself? I think sometimes the fighters create a, a bigger legend uh, format for themselves by, by stopping at the right time. Look, look at someone like Hicks and Gracie, you know, he becomes such a big legend, but he never really fought anyone that good, but he was unbeaten. Yeah. Um, you know, if he really truly carried on and actually fought someone of, of worth, he may well have got that one loss, and then all of a sudden, this mystique around him would have dissolved along with it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a bit of a sh shame for a fan's perspective um, because there's so many matchups I was, would have still liked to have seen him have, but um, it right. might not ever ever come. But um, yeah, I just sometimes think Dana White is a little bit sometimes biased to the real lightweight guys. He doesn't seem to to give them the respect that they're due in terms of their financial packages. Because I think uh, Demetrio Johnson, Demetrio Johnson um, well, had a few words to say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think he's doing rather well with um, well, one yeah, championship. One, now. one FC, yeah. One FC, so, he's yeah. He's doing very well um, and then <clears throat> Askren's retired. So, I yeah. know who, who, who got the better deal out of that. Um, yeah. You know, Mighty Mouse is off making money and winning fights. Ben Askren mm. is doing yeah. nothing now. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and that to be strong, yeah, he was great to watch. Um, well, I'll yeah, tell you what, good, then. Good all round. Here's an interesting question for you both. Um, I'll start with Brett. Um, so, Khabib, when he fought Conor McGregor, said he wanted to beat McGregor and then retire unbeaten, having toppled the UFC's poster boy. He didn't. Probably now he will face Justin Gaethje. If Justin Gaethje beats Khabib, which after last night is a possibility, let's face it. Um, has Khabib tainted his legacy by not retiring at the right time? Was yeah, like at the, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day, it's it's you could say it's the same thing as the Sahudo, you know, case. You know, at the end of the day, I feel like if Sahudo retires right now, this is the best time. He could possibly retire for his legacy. That's it. You know, Habib, Habib though, there's still questions there. I still see three guys in that division that can cause Habib trouble. You know, and I, and like at the end of the day, you know, I, I can't say the same about Sahudo. Sahudo's beaten the best guys he possibly can in that division, you know, at the minute. Yeah, you can question Sterling, you can question Petr Jan, but three of the best guys in that bantamweight division was TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Moraes, and and uh, and Dominic Cruz. You know, and that's just that lineup itself is incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible, and not only beating them but stopping all three of them. You know, it, 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 that you know 
he, in my opinion, I, I was, I've, I've actually spoken to the guy a few times. He's a great guy, and I think he's a fantastic fighter. So yeah, for for Sahudo, I think it could be the right time. But with Habib, I see three guys. I'm not sure if you agree on this, but three guys that could cause him trouble: Justin Gagey, number one; Kevin Lee, number two; and Gregor Gillespie, number three. Three guys that can cause Habib some sort of trouble. Interesting, interesting. I hadn't thought of Gregor Gillespie. The other two, I, I had kind of uh, toyed with the idea. I got to say, after last night, I believe even more so that Justin Gaethje could be the the guy, if you like. Um, what do you think, Dan? Um, about the initial question, and also what Brett just said there. Uh, uh, yeah, what was the question? What are we on now? <laughs> we uh, keep so no, no, What did I say? I said. Um, Oh, we said about retiring at the right time, wasn't it? And I said, uh, Khabib had said initially that once he beat McGregor and, you know, beat the UFC poster child, he was going to retire, you know, unbeaten at the top. And I said, Mm. if Justin Gaethje now beats him, does that take the edge off his legacy? Because he didn't retire at the right time. You know, obviously, like we just discussed with uh, Cejudo, possibly. Yeah, Um, yeah, Cejudo, he's kind of gone through the best, that there, there, there is. I yeah. think there's still, um, there's still, you know, potential matchups that that have not been made that need to be made for him to to call himself the outright number one. Um, yeah, certainly with you know with the performances that we saw uh, from UFC, that you know he, he's definitely got some challenges ahead. Um, I think for him to do a get out early, um, yeah, I don't know that 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 would. Tighten my view of him a little bit. Um, no, not to say that he hadn't gone in there and fought some and beat really good guys. I mean, he's really made short work of of, of many guys that I didn't think he'd make such short work of, but he did. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to still see him stick around. He's still young enough to. Um, yeah. It's not like that he's clocked up many miles in, and having half fights. He's had his way in all the fights. He's, he's not been really truly um, injured or, or, or racked up miles on his clock in that way. Um, for me, there's no reason why he can't hang around a little longer to, to really um, prove him inconclusively the best. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, Brett, last week, um, when me and Danny were previewing this card, uh, I said to Danny that um, I was concerned with Tony Ferguson taking the Justin Gaethje fight for the same reasons that I didn't think McGregor should take the Gaethje fight because I felt like it was a no-win scenario. Um, and it could do more damage than good. Like Tony Ferguson has worked exceptionally hard to position himself as Khabib's number one challenger. Um, and, well, now he's not. I didn't see it going like this, I have to say. Um, but Gaethje is just a, you know, he's a beast. Um, did you see this fight going like this? <clears throat> I didn't. No, I and like honestly, I got no problem with admitting when I'm wrong. So um, I had I had Tony winning. To be honest, I <clears throat> I guess I, I just I just saw not only just win. I thought he, he'd stop him. I thought he'd catch him with something. Which technically I was right. You know, he did catch with a massive uppercut in round two. But um, you know, it, the other day. I think Gagey is, is such... I've never given Gagey the credit he probably deserves, but now, now I have. You know, the, the, guy, the guy's wrestling is exceptional and we didn't get to see any of that last night. <clears throat> you know, that's, that's why nice. it's a mass, that's, what, that's why he's a massive, massive problem in our lightweight division. You know what I mean? And um, 
I, like I said earlier, the three names I see causing Habib trouble, the top of that list really is Justin Gaethje. He's the, he is the gatekeeper. I used to watch that guy when he was on World Series of Fighting. He just, he's called the human highlight reel. The guy's had, I think it's seven UFC fights, but he's got nine performance bonuses. Yeah. How, how does that work? How the hell does that work? <laughs> you know what I mean? So whatever he's doing, he's doing it right. And um, yeah, you know, at the end of the day with Justin Gagey, you know, he's knocking someone out. Oh, he's getting knocked out and that's the way he is. But last night, I think it was the best Justin Gagey I think I've ever seen. Um, his, his striking was a phenomenal... Trevor Whitman in his corner was a fantastic uh, corner man. Was saying the right things. Like I love, I love that 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 between fourth and fifth round. You know, you could see Gagey getting a bit excited. He knew he was ahead in the scorecards, and he said, "Whoa, cut it out! You haven't finished yet. The last time you got excited, you lost." Mm-hmm. And like I love that. That mm-hmm. kind of put him back to okay. Yeah, I'm still in the fight. He lost his last two fights having fun, and and you can't you can't get you can't knock the guy. He's enjoying in there, you know. At the end of the day, he's having fun, but um, you know he had to take uh, his foot off the gas a bit. But mm. this, his power, Gagey's power in that fight was the same from the first round to the last round. Yes, I did feel like he was getting fatigued, but then again, he only had five weeks for the preparation. But um, you know what could he do with a good long eight week camp? With Trevor Whitman against Habib, you know what I mean. That's going to be a different ball game. Oh, and yeah. the guy, and the guy, and the guy could could go into that fight with no striking, you know, a little bit of sparring here and there, um, hitting pads of Trevor Whitman now and then, and he'd still do, he'd still win the striking exchanges against Habib. You know mm. that his cap would consist of just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Mm. So. Do you, uh, what, do you think the stoppage... I, I saw a few people say that they felt the stoppage should have been done a bit earlier. Um, I felt it was time to perfection because I thought, if you watch the replay, Herb Dean, when um, when uh, Ferguson initially gets hit, his eyes are just solely on uh, the, the reaction of Tony Ferguson. He's watching his body movements and he's watching him and he waits. He lets Tony Ferguson kind of get himself settled and then as soon as he hits the second jab and Tony Ferguson doesn't defend himself at all, that's it, straight away. And I thought it was done to perfection. Um, Brett, I'm going to ask you, mate, because I know you're going to chip off once we've done the the U- UFC 249 stuff, mate. Although, you, you know, you're welcome to stay, obviously, but <laughs> you couldn't. I just had my girlfriend come in from a 12-hour shift from the know, NHS. Uh, so she's, uh, she's eyeballing me right now, she is. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I prefer to fight... I, oh, I prefer to fight Francis Ngannou than her. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, like 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 you said, you know, um, I, I I I I agree with you, Sai. I think it was it was it was timed spot on. It it couldn't have been done a second earlier. It couldn't have been done a second later. It was it was one of them things, you know. Um, it's not the referees look for things that are not common reactions in fighting. Number one, turning away from your opponent when you're hurt. That doesn't go down well. And Tony was doing a lot of that. Number one, taking your eye off your opponent when, you are, when you've been hit with a shot. So, for example, when Tony got hit in the eye, it, that, what happened there was the exact same thing that happened against Robbie Lawler 
and Rory McDonald, where one shot, that's all it took, and the board, your brain just says, I can't do this no more. And I felt like that happened. You know, he fractured his, his, his eye socket, uh, Tony Ferguson did last night. And I just felt like that was his way. So when he turned away and looked like that, that was it for, for Herb Dean. He didn't have to see no more. And even Tony said, oh, they should have probably let her on a bit more. But that is completely and utterly different to the co-main event. That's completely yeah. different, you know. And, and uh, you know, I, fe- I feel for Tony. I feel for Tony. He's, he's developed this massive CV of wins. And now, you know, he's out of that title contention picture now. But, you know, I think we, we've got a better main event for it with Habiba just engaging. And, uh, and Brett, very, very finally, um, what's next for you? <clears throat> to be honest, um, I'm absolutely heartbroken that the 25th of April didn't go ahead with Montel Jackson. Guy was uh, stylistically awkward for me, you know what I mean? Good wrestler, south for quick one two on the centre. You know, it, 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 the match intrigued me. So for that fight to be called off was, was a bit of a bummer. But um, look, my childhood dream is to fight legends in this game. You know, I'm, I'm, I might not get to that title shot picture. I might not. I'm I'm going to damn well try, but I might not. But along the way, I want people to go, do you know what? He, he, he did not care who he faced. And I guess that stigma I've already got because I thought people like number two in the world, Adwin Sterling, and number five, or number six, or whatever is Pedro Munoz, you know what I mean? I want to run them fights back again, you know what I mean? I, I'm just a guy who's happy with fighting the best guys I can. And, um, you know, for me personally, next, I'd like to fight... You know, get get another win. Let's negotiate this next contract with the UFC, and then we see from there. But a legend fight would be nice right now. Someone like a Dominic Cruz or a or a or a Uriah Faber or someone who's who's been there for a long time in that UFC bantamweight division. Like it would be a childhood dream of mine to fight Dominic Cruz. You know, a guy who who was an, the 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 pinnacle of the sport, a bantamweight, just to stand opposite that guy. And like that's not stylistically a great fight for me at all. But, uh, you know, I, I'm in this sport because I love doing it and, and I get to fight the people who I used to watch as a kid. So why not get in there with the best? Indeed. And, and, and if you were to, you know, if you beat Cruz or you beat the right Uriah Faber, there's some big names on your fight CV as well, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. You know, then at the end of the day, them names, them names are the ones that would be like, well, for example, Uriah Faber is already in the UFC Hall of Fame. Dominic Cruz will be in the UFC Hall of Fame. And yeah, you know, at the end of the day, to fight them Hall of Famers would be would be absolutely amazing. I'd be honest, I'm leaning right now more towards the Uriah Faber fight because I feel like that's where he is in his career. Mm. But Dominic Cruz is, like, you know, a matchup that I, that, I would, that I would love to have, you know? Yeah, incredible. Um, right, Brett, I'll leave you go and spend time with your good lady. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much heroes of NHS thank you for joining us Brett yeah. appreciate it mate I really do and uh, you're welcome no. back anytime no worries thank you sorry. thank you Danny and uh, I'll speak yeah. to you soon thanks again guys cheers good chatting with you Brett, Brett. Ta-da. 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 Okay. right uh, Danny what did you make of the main event mate yeah incredible um uh, I was sh- shocked how dominant, um, you know, uh, Gaethje was. I, I, this, 
I wasn't expecting that. I, I knew he was going to land shots on Ferguson, but I thought Ferguson was going to land more than he did um, on, on Gaethje, but it didn't happen that way. And and it was just, I, it was the amount of power he was putting into those shots. Um, it was almost like, you know, you, you only put the power in those shots when you know they're mostly going to land, and, and most of them did. And it's like he knew it. He, he was throwing them like he was hitting a, a heavy bag. Heavy bag don't have legs to run away. Um, so you can put all your beans into it. He was doing that to Ferguson, who's generally quite elusive. You know, has very awkward footwork, switches it up. And, and to keep finding a home for his hands was uh, hugely impressive. I think we all thought, um, get into a trap of seeing Gaethje as someone who's um, just a leg kicker. But I think he demonstrated there that he's so much more than just that. Uh, this, this, this guy had proper, proper good hands. And it weren't single shots either. He was landing sometimes... Um, three and four hit combinations. Every one of them was on the money. But equally impressive was, uh, although it, perhaps it's not so so uh, uh, so good for Ferguson, was the amount of punishment that he could take. Gaethje uh, had knocked people clean off their feet with those kind of shots. And I'd suggest he was landing harder than he's ever landed um, uh, in this fight. Uh, Ferguson just kept riding him out. Uh, it was absolutely impressive. But eventually, over the course of those rounds, he started to really wear it on his face. He was getting swellings, getting splits and cuts all over. Um, and he did start to get disorientated a little bit. His legs started going from him. Now, I suspected that it was a leg kick that caused that. And indeed, that could have been part of the conundrum. But um, his footwork started going wayward. And I think he was um, losing his equilibrium a little bit. I, th mm. I think he was getting off balance because of the con concussive shots repeatedly taken, although it was absolutely shocking that he could take so, so many of them. They are going to be consequential. He ain't superhuman. He's definitely a special type of human, but he ain't superhuman. No one is. And eventually they, they started to tell tale on him. And um, can't agree with Brett more for that stoppage. The stoppage was, was practically perfect. Um, I think um, I think because he was getting disorientated and, and looking off balance at times, I think that's telltale times that something was going wrong upstairs. Um, but yeah, excellent performance, Gaethje. And I do think Gaethje is a better potential matchup to potentially win um, than Ferguson against someone like Khabib. Um, surely, solely really because um, uh, he, he's, he's just got the, the strength and, and the ability to really hurt with anything that he chooses to do. Um, and I think he has um, more solid qual uh, wrestling credentials. Uh, I think um, Habib against Ferguson, F Fer Ferguson would get taken down repeatedly, but I just think he's potentially dangerous with his elbows off his back to cut someone like Habib. And he has those funky submissions and, and crazy scramble-ups, which could have put a test on Habib. But um, Gaethje, especially with these improvements, I think he matches up physically better, better with the wrestling. And I think he could hurt someone like Habib at any time um, during any of the rounds up to the five-round time limit. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> like Tony Ferguson is a bloody animal. Um, I just don't know how he could withstand that amount of punishment. Mm. Um, Gaethje was just so impressive. Um, like, But one of the things we talked about is that the angles that Tony Ferguson... Um, creates and the weird like almost uh, i think one of the commentators described it as like breakdance type um footwork mm. where he goes like from side to side and he's like swaying and he's moving his back leg behind his front leg and gaethje cut that out by destroying his leg and those leg kicks so then his footwork 
uh, was not as good. He was less elusive, which meant the shots which were already getting through anyway were then getting through with more regularity because Ferguson wasn't as elusive as he normally is. Um, and then, you know, Gaethje from kind of round two and three was just brutal. Just just brutal. Yeah. Um, you know, Ferguson, like you say, was getting disorientated. And I saw someone say that it should have been stopped um, before it got to that point. Well, as soon as he... Um, this, they said as soon as he became disorientated and his equilibrium was off or his balance was off, they said, um, that's when it should have been stopped because he was so cut as well. But I would argue that his balance issues at the earlier point in the fight were from leg kicks, not necessarily from headshots. Whereas at the end, where he gets hit with that straight left and he kind of jolts his one head to the mm. side and his body goes the other way and he kind of makes like a really unnatural movement and then he mm. sort of gets gathers himself and it's the second jab which convinces the ref because he doesn't even you know he, his hands don't go up to block it he just takes mm. it without any yeah. reaction wasn't, and then... wasn't it said that he had his was it his orbital or his cheekbone yeah broke? I think Brett said his, uh, his orbital bone yeah was, so uh, I think that's broken. why he was turning away I know he does do this. He rides out punches very well, the same as he does leg kicks. When he gets leg kick clean, he'll sort of like turn and spin with it uh, mm. to try and take some of the momentum out of the impact. Um, but I think he was beginning to turn away because he was getting hit in the face uh, rather than it just knocking him dizzy like it would many other, um, you know, us regular athletes. Uh, I just think he, he was feeling immense pain in the face. I think he knew something had gone in his face. And I'm not surprised. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised there ain't more... Um, more bones broke in that face than there was. Uh, oh my it, god! Yeah. It, it was. Uh, they were making a hell of a sound. Yeah. Hell of a sound. Um, all those shots. Yes, indeed. So, um, so we recording this on uh, Sunday. Uh, there's another UFC show on Wednesday. Um, so uh, we're going to be back again as this comes out Wednesday. We'll be back again on Thursday with a live Danny Batten show. Um, although we're not 100% sure you're going to be uh, I'm, available. I'm 95% sure. 95 I might have to do it um, at, at my workplace because we, we're swapping everything around oh, okay. um, to try to put things so that they would be... We're trying to guess what the government guidelines are going to be, so all the machines are going to be certain distance. But obviously, no martial arts will go on at this stage. No. I, I'm beginning to think maybe not for the rest of the year, but no. let's, let's hope I'm wrong on that front. But certainly in... in in terms of our gym, we've got a really big gym area that can yes. potentially be ran safe under the current circumstances. So we're trying to put a one-way system in. Um, we're swapping things around. We're changing things. Um, so I'll probably be at work because as soon as we've done um, our podcast, I'll be going off to, to do some more work on the gym. Um, okay. So, yeah, it, it should all be good. I'm going to do a test run. Um, or we might have to do a test run yeah, side yeah, to make fine. sure that the Wi-Fi is strong enough there because um, I can also do it off my tethering on my phone. Um, that's another possible option. Um, okay. Just I, I just want to, if I'm going to promise to do this, um, I want to make sure that we don't get any issues on the day because we haven't yeah, test run it. So yeah, if we yeah. test run the Wi-Fi there, as long as that's all good, I'm up for doing this. I'm really enjoying Absolutely. doing these. And yeah. I think that's a good idea to do that one. Yeah, I think it helps break it all up. Um, we've got a special guest joining us in uh, Richard Shaw, uh, who is obviously Jack Shaw's father. 
uh, fellow MMA coach from Shore MMA. Um, so we will work something out because um, I've quite enjoyed having uh, you know both you and Brett on tonight and doing the mm. different having two opinions uh, is good and I, you know I mean I like to have on all my podcasts when I we, we discuss various uh, sports or mental health I like to have experts talk about stuff rather than me as much because you know it means more than it is like I'm just a fan of MMA so to hear someone like yourself talking about it and then having someone else as well I think mm. it just adds even more cred credibility to our yeah but um, you know don't situation. take nothing away from yourself side the, the good thing is you're asking typical questions uh, and you're seeing things from a, a typical um, MMA fans perspective who don't train it so you know you come with a really good innocent angle if you are a virginal mm. uh, angle um, which is great because you get to clear up what most people's questions uh, and you know want to knows of what they're saying um so yeah it, it, i think it, it creates a perfect balance yeah do you hear that virginal <laughs> of course not in the literal sense yes. well, that would be that would be impressive with three children so, um, so uh just to finish off the show then we probably won't spend as long as we normally do on these um because we've uh, had a current show and we had brat and stuff um, yeah so I want to try and keep it to around two hours. Uh, so we have UFC 7. And uh, with part two of our uh, look at Jack Shaw's rise to prominence through Cage Warriors. So I think if we go with Jack Shaw first, because um, yeah. it was a very brief, brief fight. Uh, last week, we discussed his final amateur fight, which was on the... Uh, the uh, the prelims of a Cage Warriors, uh, I forget which one it was, Cage Warriors 60, 73? Uh, 76. Seven, uh, so this one is oh, this one. Uh, Cage Warriors. This one's 76. 76. Yeah. Um, and he fought Frenchman uh, Antoine Crow. Croy? Crow? Crow. Um, uh, and I felt like we discussed last week uh, Jack's grappling. You could see, even as an amateur, that he was a very, very talented lad. Um mm -hmm. And, you know, I know it was his last amateur fight that we discussed last week. So, you know, he was making that jump to pro. Uh, but, you know, he it was doesn't make it any less impressive. The display was exceptional. Um, and, and I think as exceptional as the, the amateur fight was in terms of technique and three rounds of domination, this was domination in a different way. Yeah, uh, it, it was um, really, really good to good to see it's just yeah he's 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 wrestling is obviously really good uh but he's his sense of what's happening on the ground it is is really immense he's literally he's like got extra sensory sensors in his both arms his legs and his head and he uses his head so well for a young lad um you know any good grappler knows that where you put your head it's like an extra limb and he was using that really, really well. Um, and also using his shoulder drive in the half guard position. I mean, half guard is something that we did see in his um, in his previous fight. And he, he dealt with that really, really well. And we saw no different here. Um, he's just becoming more seasoned. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, really impressive. I mean, you, you can only really take from it what you can from that short duration that we saw. But just looked so sharp and clinical. Really, really did. 
Um, it's almost like he knows what the guy is going to do before he does it in terms of trying to escape positions because they literally jump out the hot frying pan, jump into another one. It's just like, where do they go? Um, you know, the, the, the lad he fought had, a, a, had one attempt to do like a rolling knee bind to a leg lock attempt, but got easily floated uh, by Jack Shaw, easily countered, lands himself in mount position, um, landed you know, for his attempt for that leg lock, a horrible punch and elbows. Um, the guy gives up his back. And, and from there, he had several attempts at trying to do a rear naked choke, one of them with the uh, body triangle on. And I've always said to you, it's quite hard to finish a rear naked choke with that uh, body triangle. It's possible, but your body location for your arms to be around the neck are just slightly off. Um, and, and someone with a little bit of resilience uh, in them can, can be hard to finish. Um, there's a point where he stood up, wasn't there? Uh, he's trying to choke the guy. Actually, stood up, and I thought it was over at that point. But you know, the lad's there to fight, and, and he survived it. But he didn't get out of trouble for very long. Uh, and he was in trouble again with uh, Jack Shaw on his back, uh, and and this time it was just in that little bit deeper, a little bit sweeter. Um, absolutely impressive, I've got to say. Um, I'm gonna have a good study of, of all of Jack's uh, fights and. Yeah, I'm really going to watch his career with interest. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, one thing which uh, just kind of interested me a little bit um, as I was watching that fight earlier is um, the French fighters, uh, as pros, they don't do head strikes. Um, so when uh, Jack, at one point, gets into full mount, um, didn't know what to do and never experienced mm. it before. Um, and yeah. we mentioned earlier how it's only now that it's uh, it's been uh, not banned in France. It came up in the show we've been doing today. Yeah. Um, so in in this fight, they I think they do grappling, but at this point, obviously this was a few years ago. Um, they did grappling, but even in MMA fights, but they don't do. Uh, I think it was head strikes, or I know that's right, sure, pound. But, yeah. So that so he had never had anyone have him in full mount and ground and pound and you mm. could see when jack briefly gets into the full mount he doesn't know what to do yeah he does not that he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know what to expect because he's almost like like that like almost anticipating a, a flurry yeah. of shots um and did you also notice that uh as jack was walking to the cage they mentioned a certain former cage warriors champion Oh, my goodness, I must have uh, missed that in my you rush to try to... You missed your own name. <laughs> Jesus It can Christ. happen. Because <laughs> I, I heard it and I thought, did I just hear that? And oh, I'm going to... You know, I'm gonna, straight after it. we finish, I'm going to be you know, going back to hear it. Yeah. It's just... They must have been talking, talking... Just as they talking... start doing his face stuff. <laughs> right, okay. They must be talking about the distance past. Why not? Yeah, it was something about 11 years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. We got ten minutes to talk UFC seven. Um, so yes. I'm gonna let let you take us through it. I'm just gonna talk about the bouts, and you can just kind of take us through them briefly. Um, yeah. Let me just because uh, so I always gonna... play briefly play them through as well as I go. But okay, um, so we're gonna start. Yeah. With, the first um, one was uh, Jerry Harris, wasn't it? And Paul. Yeah. Paul Valerians uh, versus Jerry. Uh, Paul Valerians versus Jerry Harris which finished after a minute and seven seconds via uh, submission elbows. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there weren't much to this. Both massive men. Um, you know, Paul Verilens, we know, is re really big, uh, six foot eight, but the other guy matched him for size. Um, but yeah, the other guy, it really didn't put up much much of a, a fight for, for uh, Paul Verilens. And Paul Verilens looked a little bit more um, in the know-how on the ground. Um, he looked a little bit more savvy. Um, big lump of a guy. He, he was putting his nasty um, uh, bare-knuckle punches from a rear position without hooks in, um, which I think he only kept him in position because of the sure weight of him. Um, normally, we'd see someone who's a little bit more agile, perhaps put hooks in even at this stage of UFC, but but he didn't. He didn't really have to. He just launched in some elbows, and um, and the guy didn't want no more of it. Uh, ref stepped in and over. That was that one. Indeed. Uh, next up was Mark Hall versus Harold Howard. Return yeah. again, Mr. Howard. Yeah, Mr. Howard, he looks all aggressive, gets himself real pent up, and it was all looking good for him to start off with. He has a really strange um, striking style. It's like it's like um, WTF Taekwondo. Um, there's two types of style of Taekwondo. There's ITF, which is what I did, um, and WTF, which is um, considered full contact, which is in the Olympics. And, and, and the main difference, other than the fact that one's classed as semi-contact, but trust me, you know, at Black Belt, it really ain't. It's practical full contact, but it's it's like continuous and um and WTF full contact is mainly kicks um and, and they wear body shields as well and there's no punches to the head um but he has that style um the those taekwondo practitioners have their arms down by the side and they bounce on the spot and that's very much what that howard howard does so it's really quite unusual to see but still he's a big man um would, wouldn't want to receive a punch or a, a kick on him become really aggressive it was looking promising and he kind of like gets the guy down just for the fact that he's a bigger guy. He throws him to the floor, but he gets overturned quite easily. You know, had no real sense of base on top. Uh, and when he was underneath, I think once he's, um, his gas tank began to wane, he was already bleeding at this stage. Um, I think he could feel it in his opponent's energy that, that the guy was there to fight, had good energy yeah. about him and, and wasn't going to be a pushover. I think he, he, he knew that he wasn't going to get anywhere. And he chose the easy option and, and tapped and finished it early for himself. But a little bit disappointing because he comes across so aggressive. I thought he'd be in there for the finish, but not so. Uh, yeah, so that was Harold Howard, wasn't it? Uh, next yeah. up was uh, Remco Pardoyle, or Fordell, versus yeah. Ryan Parker, uh, uh, with Pardell win winning by lapel choke after three minutes and five seconds. Yeah, uh, another like, kind of interesting matchup in that we got a karate practitioner fighting someone who's um, jiu-jitsu. Now, not Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but uh, like a traditional jiu-jitsu. And he's got a bit of a judo background as well, I believe. Um, but both very similar sized men, both wearing a gi, but for different reasons. As I just, just mentioned, uh, Pardell is more uh, jiu-jitsu orientated and judo orientated. So we understand why he's got his gi on. But the other guy's wearing a gi because of the, the karate background. Um, didn't get to see much of his karate. He got put down very, very easily into scaffold. We know Padel, we've seen him use that when he won in, um, I think it's USC 2, isn't it? We see him knock out the, uh, the, the tie boxing stylist with those nasty elbows. I, I thought we might see the same again here, but it wasn't the case. I think slightly because the, the guy he was up against was um, quite a big guy himself, a little bit harder to sub subdue. Um, but yeah, he, he gets over, to, or gets mount position. And starts working um, some top position chokes, um, and and quickly wins. He wins with three minutes and five seconds. Yes, he does. Uh, then we had 
the the debut of Marco Ruiz. Yeah, Puritan. I thought this yeah, was a he, fantastic he, fight. Yeah, it was Marco Ruiz quickly become one of my um, you know favorite fighters um, back in the day. He was someone I, I, I considered truly um, uh, well-rounded. Uh, uh, potentially could face anyone world-class on the ground, striking or in the rustling formats. Very, very impressive uh, guy. Really knows how to fight. But what did impress me was we, we've seen um, um, we've seen Larry Crichton, I think he's how do you say his name? Larry, we saw Larry him in Crichton, the yeah. Yeah, it's either in the previous or the previous one. Again, to that we see him, and he he really didn't. It had some kind of know-how on the ground, but it really wasn't very good at all. But he actually quite impressed me here. You got to remember, he's up against Michael Ruiz, who's, uh, whose ground skills are really, really good, really, really legit. Um, he actually got on top of Marco Ruiz after being taken down um, and actually did well there. He nearly got arm-triangled from closed guard, um, but he survived that, kept using a forearm press and stacking up in Ruiz's guard, getting some um, a little bit ground and pound off. Couldn't make much of it, um, but he was making a fight of it. Um, I thought he was going to get blown out of the water. Really, really did. But I think the fact that he was considerably bigger than Marco Ruiz um, put him in good stead to have some staying power in there. And it actually looked a little bit awkward at one point with Marco Ruiz with his head up against the cage. He was trying to work an open guard and couldn't get anything created of it because the cage was crumpling his hips with his head being squashed up against the cage. But then some space um, uh, gave him the opportunity to work on those leg locks. And we know we've seen leg locks on him before. Um I know he's very, very good at leg locks. He's come from a style called Luta Livia, which is basically Brazilian jiu-jitsu without a gi. Um, there was a lot of competition over the years in the past, um, even up to present day, between the Luta Livia guys and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys. Um, and he finishes really quickly. Once he had all that leg and he got it to the ground, he finished very quickly. I think it was with a heel hook. It was a bit hard to see. Um, but yeah, but like I say, impressive performance from both Um you know, Larry really impressed me with his improvements from his previous UFC uh, fight. But Michael Ruiz was absolutely hugely impressive there. You could see he's got all-round capabilities. Yeah, he was. Uh, Marco Ruiz, of course, went on to have a, a you know a, a pretty good career in MMA and martial arts. Mm. He fought in Pride and UFC. That's right. Yeah, uh, um, I think he would have had a longer career, but I think he um, he ended up with uh, hepatitis. Oh, and so right, he could okay. not get cleared to I fight anymore. I did wonder, because um, his last fight in the UFC was UFC 21. Um, yeah. Okay, so the semi-finals were Marco Ruiz versus Remco Pardoyo and Paul Valerins versus Mark uh, Hall. So the first one yeah. was Valerins versus Hall, uh, which yeah. Valerins won by submission, key lock submission, uh, after one minute and four seconds. Yeah, yeah, a good little fight. Um, you know, Hall comes out with a Superman punch that landed, which is kind of great because he's given away a huge amount of height on Paul Ferrellins being at six foot eight. So he comes out with a jumping strike, which you know gave him easy access to the head. Um, but that that was about the only success that he got. Um, I was quite impressed with his overall resilience, though. You know, he didn't give in to that scaffold that he got pit into quite early on. But Ferrellins, like I say, seemed to you know. Um, have more experience on the ground. You can tell he's learning the ground arts. I mean, he's still not a technical guy in the big stretch by any means, but someone six foot eight weighing the weight that he does, you know, just a, a little bit of ground know-how is going to be difficult to deal with. And I think it was his size really that, that saw him through. He got to mounted position from that scarf hold and then worked that key lock. Um, 
yeah, I mean, well, well done to, to Paul with that, but size is what I feel was a winning factor in that one. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, next was Marco Ruiz versus Remco Pardorio, uh, with Ruiz winning, winning uh, via submission. Although it says in the, on the uh, Wikipedia page, submission position. Uh, after 12 yeah, minutes. Yeah, um, basically, yeah, probably back then. Oh, is this the one know... where he just tapped? Yeah, uh, he just quit. Basically, like, he I think enough. he was tired. Yeah, he, he, he just had... So, yeah, submission by position. I think they just didn't know what, what kind of terminology to use back then. But, um, yeah, it was about just a verbal tap. You know, he just, he just wanted out. You don't have to be, um, you know, yeah, in a submission to, to quit. If, you, if you're just not feeling right, you can tap at any point, right? Um, and that was the case there. I, I don't think anything other than the fact that um, I think he knew from being in there that Marco Ruiz was the real deal. And I think at this point he was getting a little bit tired and I thought he would rather take the, the safe way out. Um, Indeed. But yeah, it was it was actually looking good at, at one point for him. He had a guillotine hold on for a long time. And being a big man, I thought, well, you know, he, he could stand a chance of getting this, but... He couldn't make anything off that guillotine, unfortunately. No. Uh, so, but just before we go to the final, which is between Marco Ruiz and Paul Valerians, we we get our uh, super fight between Ken Shamrock, the champion, versus Oleg Takturov. And I was really looking forward to this. Um, yes. It was given as a draw, because basically, if the, at this point in time, if you... Uh, go to time limit there was no judges or scores um that's right so it was ruled as a draw uh taktorov knew that and uh from uh, i don't know maybe the last third of the fight uh i think wasn't trying as hard to win the fight maybe should we say yeah. as, as shamrock was not to say he wasn't trying to win but um yeah um yeah um again you know, the frustrating thing there's i was frustrated with both the fighters on this one um can short we've seen what he's been like in a closed and open guard he's very very cagey um he did this with hoist gracie and it, and it really is bad viewing um yes. you know so for for much of the, the the fight we saw him um push deep in that closed guard which smothered his work okay got little web butts off but it smothered his striking. Um, Oleg couldn't really do anything in terms of submission because he's pushing so deep into his half, um, into his full guard. Um, so he could only hit a little bit back. Um, so it just wasn't much going on. Really quite frustrating. But the, the bit that frustrated me on terms of um, Oleg was the fact that he sat to his back. He didn't get wrestled to the ground. And, um, and I think once he knew how the fight was going... Um, I would have thought he would at least try and make a play for the top position. But who knows? You know, major, he's got his knees um, strapped up. He might have dodgy knees. Um, I know what that's all about. I have them. Mm. Um, it, it makes you really cautious when someone has hold of you. And sometimes you choose to go down rather than get taken down. Um, so that may be the case for him. I don't know. But it looked like a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a get out. And it made the fight very, very negative to see. Um, I think had there been a decision... Um, and they know the top position scores. You may have seen him try to uh, yes. be a top game player. But I would have really liked to have seen what would have happened if Oleg was on top. Because I think Oleg would have go gone for the finishes more than Ken. And would have gone for the ground of pound more than Ken. It would have opened up the game and been a much more visible spectacle. But, yeah. you know, we didn't get that. I think they stood him up, didn't they? Um, this is they when the ref would, up, yeah. would stand you up. 
but it very quickly went, went back, back to the crowd. The went back to the same again. The crowd were even booing. The crowd were even becoming a little bit educated here, um, and they wanted to to see more of um, um, more of a uh, a performance. Yeah, the agency, wasn't it? And a bit of yeah, yeah, yeah. I think UFC yeah. come on with such a big bang, and it was all about knockout knockouts and cuts. Um, and suddenly now this is your first inkling of it going to a sporting way where. They didn't know how to play the sport just yet, but they knew how to play it safe. And and safe is how they played it to get that draw. It's like they was happy to get a draw almost at this mm. point. I um, yeah. So you can, yeah, you can it see went, from it these went... last couple though, these last couple of events that we've talked, you can see why they brought in the judges and uh, yeah, you had to you know took out the ju- uh, the draw from it to a certain degree. Yeah, 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 you had to. But um, it went the the, the distance um, to the 30 minute and they had an overtime. And over time, we saw a little bit of striking. Um, yeah, Shamrock got a bit, didn't he, with his striking yeah. in, the, in the overtime, but not. Um, yeah, not not massively so. Yeah. Uh, uh, and by this time, they both got themselves really tired um, and really tired doing nothing, <laughs> which is, you know, but um, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't enjoy watching it overall. It had the potential yeah. to be so much better than it was, but it, it was what it was. They went through the overtime, and um, yeah, it was it was a draw as it was back then. Especially because I watched this after I watched UFC two four nine. Oh right, what well, come it, down? I think yeah, I think it made <laughs> it more painful in about every single way. Whereas I've yeah. been enjoying these recently, but when you put it up against the quality, the technique, the excitement of the current stuff, um, yeah. It is a bit, uh, it's harder, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. to finish the show, talk me through the final between Marco Ruiz and Paul Valerins, with the winner going to the ultimate ultimate, which we're going to discuss next Wednesday. Yeah, okay, so, um, yeah, they come out feeling each other out with a little bit of range for striking. Um, a little bit of striking happened, nothing too consequential. They, they both sort of agree to clinch up, if you will. Um, Verilins being the bigger man pushes uh, Marco Ruiz against the fence but has two over wraps and um, Marco Ruiz has the under pummel with a, uh, with a finger finger grasp um, which would put Marco Ruiz in an advantageous position regards their body lock but a positional um, perspective is the, to the advantage of Verilins but they're both kind of cancelling each other out with their advantageous positions so they couldn't get anything off Verilins was trying to do some rabbit punches but as we know, that can't be uh, overly successful. Marco Ruiz knew this. He breaks free. Um, they're feeling each other out with a strike. And it must have been a little bit awkward for Marco Ruiz, given the height and reach advantage in favour of Paul Verilins and, and just the, the overall size and weight. And Verilins got some successes here. And it actually looked like Marco Ruiz was, um, you, know, a little, you know, I've had lactic acid was feeling it a little bit here. Paul Verilins is a massive, massive man. So you know, maybe it was tiring him quicker than... Perhaps we'd, we'd, we'd realise unless we was to do the same. Um, but then a leg kick lands and you see a reaction in Paul Verilins. Um, you know, and I think that was the, the start of the end for Paul Verilins. And Marco Ruiz, I think he has a lot of fighting background in his country, which is not on his record. Um, and he knows that when someone's hurt, he, he knows to keep aiming there. Uh, there was only really one sticky point that, Marco Ruiz really had, and he got picked up with a guillotine, but um, he was able to be strong enough to sort of like ride with it as he got picked up and the choke really, weren't really all on his neck. 
Um, and like I say, those leg kicks, once they started hitting home, started becoming consequential. And he literally um, kicked him to a point where he fell over um, and uh, the, the ref closes in uh, as a finished deal. But it's also nice to you know see, just to add in, um, the first, I think it's the first time we'd ever seen foot stomps. I can't remember yet. Yeah. Maybe we had seen, but you know, where it was done in I any meaningful saw, way. We saw one. Uh, yeah. A UFC three, I think I, it was. From I might Royce, have been Keith Hackney. Hoyce and, was it? Uh, was it Hoyce? Some, oh no, that was in Pride. I'm thinking of. Um, so yeah, it probably would have been Keith Hackney. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So was, uh, yeah. So we saw some, you know, interesting, you know, um, tactics coming into the mix. Um, you know, with, the, with those foot stomps, which again, you know, I know that's something that when um, back when all these early UFCs were on, I'd managed to get access to videotapes of, of some fights that were happening in Brazil. Um, and like I say, I think Marco Ruiz uh, had had a whole lot more fighting experience than than was realised by many of these fighters. Out in Brazil, they've been doing this long before it would, would hit the United States. Um, and so all these little tactics and stuff is something that had already become part of his game. And it was all a step too much for Paul Rerolins. Yeah, they'd already innovated all this stuff uh, before the before they had in the US. Mm. Um, mm. Okay. And uh, that wraps us up for today. I know we've shot through the, the retro stuff and the Jack Shaw stuff. <laughs> but but um, obviously we had a, a banger of a UFC card to talk about. Um, yeah. Guys, if um, having a guest join myself and Danny, uh, you know, uh, join us to break down the, the UFC cards, it's something that you uh, you liked and you, you're interested in, and let us know what you think. Let us know how you think Brett did. Brian, I thought he was very, very good, and uh, I thought he was very interesting and made some good points, and uh, I like it. I like, the, uh, I like the dynamic of myself and you, plus having then someone else give a different point of view uh, yeah just, absolutely just keeps us on us keeps us on our toes freshens it up a bit yeah yeah it's, and and uh, what was you know was brett johns is you know he's watching ufc and, and watching potential opponents yeah so you know obviously yeah. I'm, I'm long retired so um yeah certainly nice to get his perspective on things because um he really is you know amongst the race to, to those belts um so we, we get his mindset um on it, on it all. I thought I really, really enjoyed it um, having Brett on as well. Indeed, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna name any names, but um, I'm gonna work on some more. But um, for now, Richard Shaw will be joining us for the breakdown of Wednesday's show. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully, we'll be live. Uh, keep an eye on our social media to find out what time likely to be either 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Uh, it'll be live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. But uh, keep an eye on social media, facebook.com slash acecastnation, Twitter at case, Twitter at as, Twitter at acecast underscore nation, and the mm. same on Instagram. Uh, Danny does not have any of these things because he doesn't believe in social media. Um, he doesn't use his Instagram either, even though I tag him all the time. No, my son runs it, but he's got well, a girlfriend him, now. Tell him to bloody... Pay attention, <laughs> naughty boy. Um, okay, Danny, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, as usual. Yeah, yeah uh, sorry. Yeah, thanks again. Um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, like I say, uh, it just was extra special to have uh, someone new to come into the mix as well. I hope we get to do it again. Indeed.
someone from the the UFC as well. From yeah. The, the top of the top of the tree, as it were. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. After his, that's funny enough. After Brett's uh, his comeback fight, which we broke down, didn't we? And uh, we discussed. I think that he showed that he has the ability, from a grappling point of view, to really push on and yes. break into that top ten. Um, Absolutely. So I hope he does take that fight or get that fight with Uriah yeah. Faber or a, a Dominic Cruz because I think that could be a game changer for him if he beats. One I of agree. Those two. I agree, and I, I think that's the right path. Um, you know, to to get him back right up into the true mix of the top in the UFC. Indeed, because he did well against uh, Aljamain Sterling, who's now number two in the world. So yeah, 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 exactly. Just don't know. Just don't know mm-hmm. how the chips will fall. That's and, it. Uh, we will see you Thursday. Thursday. Tomorrow, Let's tomorrow, make it happen. As it were. Tomorrow, yeah. as it were. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, regards to everyone. Stay safe. Stay home. Even though Boris has probably sent out mixed signals since we've been doing this. <laughs> Keep your family safe, keep everyone safe, and uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Take care. Podcast Network.